What's up, Cloud Chasing fans? This is Justin Tang, editor of the podcast section at the Daily Free Press. The episode you're about to listen to was recorded on May 30th, 2020, just days after the killing of George Floyd by Minneapolis police. As protests continue nationwide and Americans continue to fight for police reform and against systemic racism, we thought it was important to preface this episode with this context. In this episode, the boys do talk for a bit about the current situation, but if you're looking for some more in-depth discussion regarding race and reform from Cloud Chasing, make sure to check out our last episode, where Carter and Armand sat down with Stephanie Tavares, president of Umoja, BU's Black Student Union. It's a great episode with discussion regarding performative activism, coalition building on the BU campus, and more. With that being said, thanks for tuning in and enjoy this new summer special episode of Cloud Chasing. Clout Chasing Season 2.5, Episode 1. This is still the podcast for students who don't know shit, by students who don't know shit. The fashion pod that isn't a fashion pod. The only daily free pest podcast that is waiting in the rafters to sell out. Please, if anyone is listening, give us a reason to abandon our principles. We are begging. I am Armin Manukian. I am Carter Farnsworth. And uh, real quick, before we introduce our lovely guest, uh, a little housekeeping. Uh, Carter and I have very badly wanted to do the show remotely for a long time and we will continue to do the show remotely uh but it will not have the, like the same release schedules when we're usually on campus um this monday i start work full-time carter's working full-time uh so we're just going to try to get him out as soon as possible as, as soon as we have a guest that we want to put on um but it's not gonna be weekly real quick just want to uh, define that we couldn't we couldn't pass up the chance to to interview this guest anyway so uh this we, is exactly this true as soon as possible which brings me to introducing our guest. Uh, we're joined today by a former BU student who has graduated and moved on to a big boy job. He's the Prime Minister of Portland, the Cosmopolitan Consigliere, the Caliph of Convergence Culture, the Granddaddy of Granola, the Honcho of Whole Foods, the MJ of Twitter Gaze. Mr. I will tell you why this pop song is actually genius. The arts and culture editor of Portland Monthly Magazine, Connor Reed. Connor, how you doing? I'm after that intro quite well. That was, I went we, hard on that one, harder than I yeah. I was excited. Thank you for that. I usually tell people that like the intros are good Instagram bios too. Like, yeah. like oh, we're just trying to throw one. like seven bios at you. I, I want to say right now, because Carter, that was the first joke that you made that we make on almost every episode, along with the fact that cool. podcasts are in a visual medium and all that kind of stuff, right? Real quick, because people point out to me, they're like, you make the same jokes every week. Yeah, when we make the repeating jokes, we don't do it for the fucking listener. I don't care. I'm doing it for the guests. I'm trying to, I'm trying to <laughs> I'm immediately. I'm podcasting for you. I'm podcasting for me. Let's make yeah, that Yeah, I'm trying to impress clear. the people in the room. I do not care who is outside. That was entirely nope. trying to get Connor to feel part of this. So, and I do. Um, so thank you. Screw you. <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> Uh, let's get started with uh, fit of the day, as we always will do. Uh, Connor, you're you're at home, obviously, uh, but take us through your fit. Uh, what are you wearing? If there are any interesting stories with the pieces, please dive in. Yeah, um, on my head, unfortunately, is an A24 hat uh, that I bought because I did like though I have a beard trimmer and could in theory cut my own hair, the the, the prospect terrifies me. Um, and there's so yeah. much of it that like, yeah, I, this is, this has been, I've been living inside of this guy for a couple of weeks now. Um, Before you for, bought the A24 hat, what was yeah. the last A24 movie you saw? Like, what was the tipping point? 
That's a very good question. Um, I mean, I, I feel like maybe part of it is that I, I really want to watch Under the Silver Lake. And I just like keep not being able to bring myself to watch Under the Silver Lake. It's like two and a half hours long and like maybe it's bad. And it, like, like living in this liminal space between knowing and not knowing is actually really satisfying for me. So maybe I'm like, I've sublimated my desire to see the movie by then purchasing all of their products. Schrodinger's Home Kit, exactly. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and then I'm wearing a turtleneck that like I didn't know what the label was. So I looked at it in the mirror just now and it's Vince Camuto who was the uh, like the founder of Nine West and who eventually took over uh, the Jessica Simpson label. And I'm pretty sure that this turtleneck was a Christmas gift from my grandmother. And I do think that it is a woman's turtleneck ultimately, which is great if it's lovely. Um, oh, yeah. What about no, the glasses we, we real quick? Oh yeah. Do you want me to do glasses or do you want to go on? Yeah, I was going to ask no, you, you what the glasses were. Oh, six, six, six. Yeah, they, they are Tom Ford. Uh, Let's go. They're from Costco because my parents <laughs> have worked at Costco for my entire life. They met at Costco like 35 years ago. Uh, and they have this, they have like sick health insurance that covers all of my eye exams and like gets me a free pair of glasses every year. So like oh, shit. for my normal, yeah, normal ass, like regular eye exam and came out at the floor to look at the frames. And I was like, are these, are these literally Tom Ford frames for zero dollars? Like, yeah, you could. So I, I have Tom Ford's. Yeah, you have to do that. Let's pass that up. Absolutely. Um, the shirt is a Pendleton. Ooh. Uh, flannel, yeah, which is an Oregon original. I found it at uh, a vintage shop around the corner for me called Hollywood Babylon. Secondhand too, you love to see it. Always. Yep. Uh, the pants are from the same uh, vintage shop and they are just like wide leg Wrangler pants. Um, to quote a profit, Wrangler on my booty. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, sir. We've talked a lot about you're hitting all the right buttons because, like, we usually when we actually stick to fashion on this podcast, which is not always Often. or maybe ever, um, we talk a lot about secondhand and uh, and um, Wrangler and not wearing skinny pants. Armand has this thing that, like, we as a society have moved past the need for tight pants. I, I tend to agree, but also he feels very strongly about it. I don't have a thing. It's just like I'm good at monitoring trends. Like, I don't know what to tell you, dog. Yeah, it's, We're just it, in a different th- time. This, the, this purchase was like absolutely a response, like a rebellion against skinny pants. Because they like, they're almost bell bottoms. Like they flare the fuck out. Downstairs. Yeah. Um, and I was then, yeah, I feel like the last five pairs of pants I've purchased have like not tortured me on purpose and like I don't know like there's it, even good skinny pants just feel inextricable from like 2013 to me at this point yeah uh are yes. you a house shoe guy uh or are you barefoot socks what's the deal I am barefoot now I can be a house shoe guy but I've had to like reform myself because this apartment which I've lived in since October is carpeted uh which is like some northwest bullshit like all of the weird like the entire place is carpeted yeah the whole i mean not the kitchen or the bathrooms but like the my bedroom the hallway and the living room and like even the dining area which is absolute ass obviously it's weird this apartment yeah this apartment doesn't make any sense 
layout wise. Uh, it, it's like, it was originally, I want to say a, first of all, actually, I do feel like I have to go into my building a little bit. It's like, it was a retirement home. And then they rebranded it as like, like I think there was briefly low-income housing, rebranded as low-income housing, love to speak about it that way. But, uh, and yep. then uh, it was, you know, it's just like open, mixed use, multifamily. Uh, and on every floor, it's, so I live in a neighborhood of Portland called Hollywood. And on every floor, there's like a giant hideous canvas portrait of a dead celebrity. Cause it's like vaguely Hollywood themed. So it's like, so it's, R like it's like an RA decorated the floors. Uh, yeah, it is. It's like it's like a drunk RA decorated the floors, and also everything looks like the Overlook Hotel. So it's like weird flickering light bulbs and like wandering like eighty five year old people who are still here from when it was a retirement home. And then like the lobby looks like a weird like Twin Peaks uh, like motel there's like a scary like toothy portrait of marilyn monroe over like green velvet furniture it's a good it's a good spot so like two questions one uh who's <laughs> your who's your celebrity what floor are you on who's your dead i was celebrity? gonna ask the same thing james dean of course flawless okay second question is like the creepy twin peaks ish dead celebrities thing like super out of place in portland or like is that a common vibe throughout the city absolutely i mean like portland i think like a lot of cities right is cleaved in half between like new portland and old portland and new portland oh, is sure. just like is like the nike bikes and like shiny anonymous glass <laughs> you know uh high rises yeah. but old portland is like absolutely like weird smoky maybe like used to be in a biker gang i mean there's also obviously like the, the horrifying history of this place and there's like it slides into fascism very quickly as well but i think that there is a uh a middle ground aesthetic that is pretty like most of everyone's like if you love a dive bar it's like covered in red velvet right like it's it's got that weird oh sure yeah david lynch thing going on yeah no that's fun armand you want to do fit of the day I was going to ask you, yeah, do you want to, should we do it? I'll start. Uh, I'll, I'll go quick. Yeah, no, okay. you go first. You go first. Because I feel like yours is like a nice tie into what we're going to ask next. That's actually uh, true. So, so I'm wearing, I'm not, I'm not wearing a lot of clothing if I'm being entirely honest. Uh, we're, a, we're, a, we're a house shoe family because it's mostly hardwood. Um, so I rock the Birkenstock Bostons, the clogs. Yeah. I, I bought them in February and I'm only worried that quarantine is, like truncating the lifespan because I wouldn't wear them as much as I am right now if it wasn't for quarantine. So that's kind of making me insecure. Um, on the bottom, uh, Patagonia baggies. Um, I was playing basketball outside and I keep the mesh net in so I'm not wearing underwear underneath these and it's very comfy when I sweat. Um, on top, the Raging It's the Machine Bernie Sanders shirt uh, from the from Come Tees, spelled C-O-M-E. Um, <laughs> It's a LA sure, label. Thanks for clarifying. Of course. And then I have the sunglasses clipped on uh, Crap Eyewear. Great brand. Those are new, right? They are new. They came the other day. They had a Memorial Day sale. And my friend gave me, Nick Sakari, friend of the bot, uh, gave yeah. me a pair sure, of Nick. these exact ones a couple years ago. And I lost them at BU Freshman Orientation. So this model being in stock and on sale is kind of like a white whale for me. So I'm very happy that they finally came in. I was going to ask nice. if they were like, and Connor, you can you can talk about those too with your 
although you sort of did with the A24 hat, but like, have you found yourself like impulse buying during quarantine or are you being pretty um, selective still? I mean, personally, I, uh, all night, my, my only source of joy is like getting dumb shit in the mail, like little stupid packages are yeah. the only way that I like process the passing of time. Uh, so I have been, and also like, I think I'm justifying it to myself because I'm like, I'm not going out ever. I don't buy booze Ooh. at bars. I like don't buy movie tickets, which like I still do. I like, or whatever. Uh, I've, I've yeah. leaned into like bougie grocery delivery too. So I get like really like nice produce, but it's like cool. I'm spending more on food than I ever have. And then also I'm, I like bought the other day, I have an envelope right here, visual medium. Um, I bought a Canadian blu-ray of carol because the american one was out of print and it was like mailed to me in a handwritten envelope from like a man in quebec and that's like how dark it is here with the impulse buying. beautiful that's beautiful. yeah i was gonna say a, like if, that's such a bizarre sentence man i don't even i don't know if that's port like that's an incredibly portland sentence i don't know if that's an incredibly you sentence it's something it's it can't be both. that's yeah jesus christ yeah i mean i was i was gonna say like it's that's the trap of quarantine, right? Is like, oh, well, last night I didn't go to a bar and buy two $15 drinks. So I might as well buy an $80 pair of shorts today, right? Like I'm saving exactly. money. That's the trap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we love it, um, folks. We love supporting small businesses. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Like I also... <laughs> like a 24. In Patagonia. Woo! <laughs> um... All right, Armand, should I go? Yeah, bro. Okay, I'll go. So I'm wearing uh, all black Adidas wear. I was just, um, I just came from a Black Lives Matter protest at Dartmouth College. Um, I guess I'm doxing myself. Um, but uh, the dress code for that was, was all black. So I have uh, black Adidas shorts, black Adidas t-shirt, and black Adidas socks on. Uh, and normally I would not go all the same brand, but limited selection of only black clothing. Yeah. You can move in. That was tough. Um, moving on in a swift transition um, to address the protests and to address uh, some of the other things that have been going on. Uh, we'd like to touch on some things, uh, specifically the events that have recently taken place in Minneapolis before we begin the general shithousery. Um, we should state that, you know, none of what we say represents the Daily Free Press, BU, or any other outside organization. Our words are ours and ours alone. Um, but to start, on May 25th, George Floyd was killed by former Minneapolis PD officer Derek Chauvin after allegedly being suspected of trying to spend a single counterfeit $20 bill. In the absence of any charges being filed by prosecutors, protesters took to the streets demanding Floyd's killers be brought to justice. After days of rioting and ensuing debates across the nation, Chauvin was arrested on May 29th and charged with murder and manslaughter. At this point, we felt a certain journalistic duty to give a few thoughts on what's happened over the last few days. And given that we have an actual professional real life journalist with us today, Connor, I'd like to start with you if you have any thoughts to share. Yeah, so last night um, I was watch every Friday night, my friends and I do like a shitty movie Friday, and we were watching uh, Michael Fassbender's The Snowman, 
Oh my god. <laughs> Which, go. like, we could, yeah, we can talk about that later because I have thoughts that I haven't, like, and we were like, it had just ended, we were untangling the plot of the movie in a Zoom call, and then my roommate uh, hopped on Twitter and she was like, oh, Portland's on fire. So uh, we turned on the local news and yeah. uh, watched a lot of the coverage, and I mean, the, the, the immediate from a journalistic standpoint, the immediate disappointment for me, and this isn't this is a local issue. I think my head's been in the obviously in the local lane because I I woke up this morning and like we all got on Slack at the at the magazine and like we're trying to figure out what we do. Uh, yeah, we we were watching live footage and there was an anchor on one of the local channels walking through downtown Portland. Uh, out loud before commercial, she said the saddest part is the monetary damage to all these buildings like straight up and then cut to cut to like a standard tv and appliance commercial right it was just so fucking bleak uh and just like laid bare right the fallacy of like fair and balanced journalism i think that for me from a from a reporting perspective it feels profoundly irresponsible to not ask the ask yourself why before you frame a story like if something's happening like for instance that one of the things that's gotten a ton of airtime in portland is there was like a, the louis vuitton at like the luxury mall downtown portland got looted and there's so many tweets that are like but what of the handbags right um <laughs> yeah. and just to say like right i mean this is not this is not enough everyone is saying this but like to say well as soon as you steal a Louis Vuitton handbag or smash a window, uh, your point is instantly invalid. And it's like, again, if you ask why they're doing that, first of all, ask what that says. Don't pretend like it just came out of nowhere. Like it was, if if everything around it is organized and then this happens, there's the chances are, right, there is some sort of driving ideological force behind it. And additionally, if you think that the destruction of a luxury mall in your city is more tragic than 400 years of state-sanctioned racial violence, like, you should not be a journalist, you should not have a platform, you shouldn't be allowed to speak outside of your own home, like, honestly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's, that, those are the things that are at the top of my mind right now. Yeah. Carter? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean... I think that it's it's been kind of hard like well okay so there's that I mean so I feel I feel exhausted constantly from the news cycle um I had to plug back in I usually if I'm being entirely honest like I'm not one of those like newsroom type journalism students who thinks that like they're serving a public good or that they always need to be on their grind yeah it's just not it's not the kind of shit that I do if basically I I won't actively participate in political discourse on a professional level if I'm not on the job, right? So the past couple of weeks, I've had to plug back into journalism because I start working for a new show on Monday. And like, yes, I'm, I'm constantly exhausted by the news cycle. But there's that John, John Stewart, who is an idol of mine, did, did a bit where he was like, he, he did something about police brutality after Ferguson and said, Listen, if you're tired of hearing it, imagine how fucking tired people are of living it. So at the same time, I don't want to. I don't want to complain. Um, I am excited to start working for a show that I think has done a decent job. I'm not going to name shows because I, I'm worried. Yeah, about, no. yeah. Sure. But uh, 
I'm excited to work for somebody who I think has done a good job so far. Um, I am sad that journalists have backed themselves into a corner of impartiality to the point that I'm worried about going to a protest uh, without a press badge because I think that it will give me some career jeopardy. Uh, but yeah, if you're if you're pissed off, talk to people who are more pissed than you, and they'll help you out. They'll help you find your way. Um, they just ask questions. I mean, like, I don't know. I, I think that I think that a lot of our our, our people uh, we have, we have a lot of friends who are people of color, and I mean, we've talked a lot about BU's black community and their strong resilience to Ben Shapiro's appearance uh, last semester. But like, yeah, they're 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 on their shit. Just if if you have questions, they're gonna help you out. They want people on their side. So uh, if you are if you are uncertain, if you feel conflicted in from what you've seen and all the media you've taken in, um, ask questions and you'll get answers. I mean, that's the most that I can say, probably. Absolutely. I mean, and I think it's a good it's a good uh, mention that you make of of BU's Black community and and genuinely incredible. There, yes. They're so I was, I was I mean, like they continue, and it's it's truly an honor to, to work alongside and have the chance to talk to people, you know, like our who came on our, our podcast at, at one point this season. Fantastic. Go listen to it. If you haven't. Yes, absolutely. And, um, and she was one of the, one of the leaders who organized the protests against Ben Shapiro. Uh, I spoke with her today and, and she's uh, once again, trying to organize um, protests in, in her hometown. I won't dox her either, but uh, you know, there are, very special people among us who, who continue to, to set a great example. And, and the first thing that we can do is, is follow that example. I will also say that um, both of you live in fairly urban parts of the country. Like I'm, I don't live in an urban part of the country. I live uh, in a very rural region and it's, so we have not had the same, you know, we have not been in the same danger that cities across the nation have been in recently um, as, as they continue to burn and, and people continue to, to get their message out. Um, and it's very, it's very interesting to see how people who are, who don't think that they are directly affected or don't perceive things to be certain issues in their community respond and they respond very differently. Um, if, if you, if someone doesn't see, you know, how something is, is topical to or relevant to, to their community. So, um, you know, obviously the people have every right to be angry. And like Armand said, if you are angry, go talk to people who are angrier than you and, and get something done. I would encourage uh, people who, who are angry, uh, not to just virtue signal. Armand and I were talking about this the other day. Um, but actually find a way to use your platform and, and your community for good. Try and inform, you know, people that you care about who might want to be informed, but, but uh, don't know where to look. Start there, start with your own community and, and try and get things done. Yeah, and right. I think that the, the, the thing that resonates the most is everyone saying ask, ask questions. Like I think that the absolutely right. Watching something like the target Minneapolis locally, the, Pioneer Place Mall, downtown Portland, and saying immediately, like, this is wrong, and I hate this, not why is this right, 
what is happening. Like, I think that reframing is the only way that anything will ever get done. If you can teach people to not just push back and be reactive and see something that they don't like and say, that is bad, and this has gotten out of hand, and yeah, to, to, to center yeah. questions. I think that's, that is, that's what his, my dad texted me today and was like, what, what is this? He was like, I feel like I should agree with you, but I don't, and I want to, which I really respect. That's, yeah, that's the best. I had a, a similar conversation. My family accompanied me to this protest. And, uh, Hell yeah. <laughs> you know, I've, I spent, I spent a, a good part of the afternoon having those conversations, like you said, Connor, with, you know, family members who feel like they should feel some way about this, but, but maybe don't know. And I would also, I also want to say I would be remiss if I did not also uh, recognize um, the job that that you two are doing as members of the media. I've talked to, you know, Armand about this and, and, and other friends of mine who are, who work for large news organizations. And um, it is a, an absolute necessity to have, um, you know, people in, in the media who are able to convey information to people who, you know, sometimes aren't the most online or don't know and, and only listen to, to certain, um, you know, media entities. Uh, that they get all sorts of news from. So it's really important to have people uh, people who are working to spread that information. Yeah. So thanks, guys. I mean, I'm not doing anything. Uh, but uh, they, really <laughs> appreciate the thing. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, with that, are we are we feeling are we feeling good on yeah. the journalism thing? Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. All let's right. Go so back, some, let's go do some dumbass shit. Back to the stupidity. Uh, so, okay, real quick, uh, Connor, for all the BU students listening uh, and wondering how the hell that you ditched Comav and Alston for the glamorous set of a Fred Armisen TV show, uh, take us through, like, what it was like graduating college and finding a job in your field, like, as, like, a, a, as a com kid. Yeah, so I stuck around in Boston for a year after I graduated. I graduated in 2018. Um, lived in the same apartment in Alston for three years, made the big bad move to Coolidge Corner for about Ooh, eight months. Sure. Yeah, I lived in a basement behind Trader Joe's. Uh, and I just like, I had this job that I loathed, that I was bad at with a boss I hated that had nothing to do with what I wanted to do. That was just like kind of paying the rent. Like it was, it was I had paid barely enough money and I was like living with my best friends, which was, what was keeping me there like a lot of you were freelancing around. for barstool sports yeah i was yeah absolutely <laughs> I was helping them i was helping them pivot to video um <laughs> i use this yeah it was this like weird fucking like educational marketing website it was it was really bad and like i could go into that there are a million horror stories from my like cartoon boss but basically it was like, I, ha I have to stop this. I was freelancing a little bit for like different culture websites, but like um, another friend of mine who went to BU uh, became the editor of Eater PDX. Yo. And she was like, hey, I, you can freelance for me if you want. And so I was like, look, I'm from Oregon. I grew up in like a log cabin out in the woods. Um, Perfect. And I, uh, my parents moved to the suburbs when I moved to Boston and I was like, Hey, I think I'm going to come home for a few months and just like freelance and figure this out. Cause I have to quit this job or I'll lose my mind. And they were like, totally. So I sublet my apartment before I left. I pitched like a really bad story to Portland monthly magazine. And the arts editor at the time was like, no, <laughs> but uh, I just looked at your LinkedIn and like, we are hiring interns. 
do you want to be an intern? And I was like, well, it's unpaid, but whatever. If you can get me like a transit pass, so I can get from the suburbs to the city. Yes, I'll do it. So it was 20 hours a week. I was interning. I was freelancing for Eater a little bit. I was like, I used to, I grew up performing at a children's theater in Portland. So I was like doing some contract work for them. I was just like piecing stuff together, ex expecting it to be just sort of a couple months to build my resume. And then like, I was probably going to move to New York or whatever. And then in the middle of my internship, the arts editor announced that she was leaving uh, and going to grad school in Montana. So I applied just kind of like, you know, whatever and yeah. got the job. Uh, and like, it just, yeah, it was just like a wild confluence of things. Like I was like, well, if there's one job I would want, I wasn't even that set on staying in Portland, um, but I was like, if I could be like, I don't know, the arts editor of like a magazine, like a magazine was very <laughs> cool. And like, I don't know, arts and culture is the only thing I like. And then like the fucking job opened up, I applied, waited for a while and got it. So I was like, great, this, I, I can't not do this. Uh, so it was kind of an accident um, and, still feels dumb that it even happened well intern to yeah. editor is is portland monthly a kind of small ship or did you jump some totem poles no there there are no staff writers like it is oh, okay. it's, it's still <laughs> yeah it's it sounds really impressive but like there are 10 of us including the two persons in our department it's a really small team uh, well no yeah. it, it is still a big deal because like for publications that don't have staff writers the editor basically does all the writing unless it's freelance like you yeah. pump, you pump shit out. We were looking, like I was looking at your office yeah. page. So, prolific content machine. Shit. Yeah, I uh, think we just we just became a quote unquote digital first publication, which is oh. a buzzword that our publisher loves to use. And I will say that I've actually like been falling behind on that front. I'm not great, like you were saying, Armand, at being like a newsroom guy. Yeah. Uh, especially like as COVID has been unfolding, I. Yeah we were trying to do sort of daily coverage and like it's it's been it's been difficult to get my head around that because i the reason i wanted to work in a magazine was like deeper dives yeah long time to you know chew on stuff in my brain um yeah so that is I don't know, that's challenging but yeah i have the i i it's so stupid that i have this job it's like i it somehow i tricked the city of portland into letting me uh wield outsized influence is it That's a is it a young team though? It's or? not. It's it's funny. It's like basically when I got there, everyone had worked there for like eight to ten years, and then naturally there has been a sort of turnover like all at once. Huh. So like three of the people that were there when I showed up as an intern last summer are no longer there. Um, like oh. the editor in chief left. There was this in the fall. There was this crazy situation where we ended up breaking a uh, story about. Gordon Sondland and uh, sexual misconduct allegations against Gordon Sondland because Gordon Sondland was a Portland yeah. businessman before he was the ambassador. Yeah. Uh, oh. Yeah, he was like a, he was a Providence, he owned Providence Hotels, which is like a big hospitality company here. So like, I, it was literally a month into my job where I was like, I guess I'm a big journalist. And then I like was working on this like incredibly secret story about the yeah. like, right? And then people kept leaving. So it's been like a weird situation. When I started, it was a pretty old team. Like most of the, the people there were above 35 and some of them were above 50 and now I'm still the youngest person but I think it's it's skewed a little bit younger I think the oldest person on staff is like 46 but most I would say or at least half of the staff have kids Gordon Sondland yeah. is so funny man he like <sighs> he just did whatever he donated
Fucker, dude. He donated a million dollars to Trump's campaign, was made ambassador to the EU, and then accidentally carried around a manila folder that just had crimes written on Sharpie on it. And then did you see the, the story after his final testimony with impeachment was he was getting on a plane and he put his carry-on in the overhead compartment and it didn't close and it fell on him and he said nothing's gone right today. <laughs> Wallace. That's so good, man. Oh, you love to see it. He sort of reminds me of like like a cartoon villain. He looks like a cartoon villain. But yeah. at the same time, he's not nearly like animated in any literal or metaphorical sense of the word. Yeah, he, so, lack, he lacks charisma. Like at least yes. at least Donnie Casino knows how to work a camera. Okay. Enough Gordon Sondland. Um, <laughs> uh, Connor, do you ever think you're you're gonna return to the East Coast, or is that whole East Coast media elite thing too overdone for you? It is overdone, but it doesn't mean that I don't want it. Um, it that's right. Yeah, like, that's right. <laughs> yes, sorry. Sir. Yeah. Uh, I, I it's like, sort of like uh, sort of like a couple white dudes talking on a podcast. Yeah, oh. you could say you could say that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I grew up here. Um, I'm tired of it. <laughs> honestly i like yeah. the northwest is absolutely beautiful and i think i like had a really hard time like i made the very deliberate choice to move to the northeast for college i was like my entire family is either from oregon or montana no one has ever lived i think east of like texas in and on either side of my family i yeah. uh, i want to do this i want to get out and it felt like, so I think I wrestled a little bit, right, with the idea of moving back at all. I was like, oh no, this is a step backwards. And when I got here, Portland, just like the culture of the city is, it's pretty small. It's really fucking insular. And like specifically the art scene is so like, we're doing this for us. Like we don't care who looks. And it's like, wait, so the art is bad. Like a lot of it's just bad because <laughs> you don't care. Like there's no critical voice in, in town really. Like, and people are so combative with the idea of like, being evaluated uh, critically. So I think that there, like, culturally, there are things about Portland that I've actually grown to respect or understand, but also, like I alluded to earlier, like, it, I mean, it's, it's a deeply, it's a very white, very hand-wringy place, and not, like, it's, it's, there's a bubble around a lot of the Northwest, um, where not that much that happens here gets beyond it, and not much that happens elsewhere punctures it. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of actual, like, I think there's some beauty in that because it feels a little bit less like straining to be globalist. And like Boston is set upon by this delusion that like everything is really important. Everyone is doing important stuff, but it's just like, it's like that yeah. Onion article. It's like people gear up to play a game of big city a little bit. So I, I enjoy <laughs> the respite from that, but I do think that I will probably move to New York at some point in my twenties, just cause like, that's what you have to yeah. do. If, before if, we, bef go. I'm sorry, Carter. Uh, if, so if, People making art in Portland are very, like, not with the critical voice. As an arts editor for a magazine, are you kind of like the food critic from Ratatouille? Like, do people <laughs> resent your opinion? Do you have that much power? I don't have that much power, I should say, because also part of the thing is it's a small enough city and, like, not that many people read the pubs. I think that actually, like, since I've gotten back in the city, not through my own doing, but just, like, for, for various reasons, Portland Monthly has sort of like steadily gained a little bit of credibility, um, which is cool. The Connor Reed difference. Yes, the Connor <laughs> Reed difference. Absolutely not. But um, people are not that combative to me. 
I've, I've published probably like the only negative review I've published was for the Portland Opera, and it's like they, they're going to be fine. Like they go one hundred year one hundred year old people will continue to go in their suit and tie to the Portland Opera, and they're not going to be toppled by the fact that I thought that their Philip Glass Chamber Opera was shit. Um, but I honestly haven't even had much of a chance to like settle into a critical voice like part of the thing when I was interviewing for this job is I was like I want to hire basically like a, a team of critics to go see theater and like I've just been figuring out like the mechanics of the position I and mean, then I was kind of in a place where I was like maybe here's how we execute this and then theater ended forever so um, <laughs> yeah that's that's but the, the yeah. only other experience I really have with it is that I'm on this like committee this awards committee that, for like the Portland Theater Awards the Jammy <laughs> Awards and there is a lot of resentment there. I think a lot of artists have a lot of feelings about yeah. how that operates. And there's, there's, some, there's some Ratatouille stuff there, but I don't think that we have like, on the committee, we have like the redemption arc that the Ratatouille, like there's no like, <laughs> it's just like my mother's cooking. Like I think that, that no one really comes. There's to nothing about experimental black box theater that takes you back to your childhood the same way that a well-made Ratatouille would. That you can print that, yeah. That's yeah, beautiful. I mean, like, I just before we before we move too far, I just want to touch on the fact that Connor acknowledged that people making art and saying I'm doing this for me and I don't care what the outside voices think are making absolutely terrible art in Portland, and that's how we began this podcast. That's right. With that exact that's phrase. right. <laughs> Irony, baby. Every time I see a tweet about how another white man shouldn't start a podcast, I want to record a new episode. It only fuels <laughs> me. Uh, but, uh, Connor, before you became a media elite, much like myself and not at all like Carter, um, what kind of, when you were at BU, like, what kind of BU student were you? What kind of groups did you fit into, like... As were you were you an Austin were you an Austin? I was gonna gay? say, were you like Excuse an Austin music guy or like? That's a good question. I so I lived in Austin for three years in the same apartment with like the same three dudes, and we threw shitty theme parties. Uh, we we named our apartment after a character in like a two thousand three GameCube game called Ribbit King. So we were Lunk House and we made a fake fraternity. Uh, in the house. Okay. I wasn't, yeah, I was not like in the music scene at all. Like my roommate was a musician, but he didn't really like play the Alston circuit. Yeah. Like I, th I, I think he played the ER once and it was like with like a liquid fun show. So it was not. The ER, uh, which is now my fraternity's house. No longer oh, the really? ER, by the way. Did you know that? People, the first year that we moved in, a bunch of like e-girls would come to our door and say, this isn't the ER anymore. And I was like, no, it's a frat. And I'm like wearing like a That's soccer so jersey because it's a theme party. They're like, <laughs> oh, okay, never mind. And I'm like, wait, no. <laughs> come back. Uh, it used to be, not to age myself, but it used to also be called the womb. Uh, that was like, that was so when I was a freshman and I was like trying to be a cool kid in Alstead, I would go to shows at the womb. And then one night a pipe burst and the basement flooded, which was like sort of like a fun metaphor should rename it the womb yeah oh we're moving out so it doesn't matter <laughs> oh well that's um, dumb but we we occupied it for two years and confused hipsters every single weekend <laughs> i was like i'm at a frat really? party so i'm not wearing my docs but we are this i promise you we're the same yeah please i sympathize stay. with your cause yeah please stay um, lost e-girls <laughs> that's our mom's uh, dream that's right <laughs> 
what else though like were you yeah yeah, yeah. have we involved like, in com kind I, I had a shitty radio show called a uh, serious jazz only on WTBU, named after the Jason Derulo fan club serious fans only Facebook group um, <laughs> that my friends and I were really yep. active in. Yeah, uh, let's go. It was at like 6 a.m. every every week, and we were just like, my roommate and I would go and like be hungover and talk about being hungover. Uh, that I was like, I, I did theater kind of, like I was in like the, the OB stage troupe thing, and like a lot of my friends were there, but I would like to think that I like was not tainted too much by that like carter like label uh yeah no i i fully understand the the need to distance yourself but great like loved it had a, had a great time yeah um yeah i don't i don't know if like if, if i can i don't know if i can box myself in but um connor did you did you direct something your senior year Am I yeah i did i directed two yeah. i directed a, a show called stupid bird my junior year which was like I, I, the, the bet, like, my creative peak, which is so sad to say, <laughs> but, like, fully, I'm, like, the best thing I'll ever do is direct, like, a three-performance Chekhov adaptation and, like, a theater under a hockey arena when I was, uh, 21. Yep. And then my senior year, I directed a show called Smoke Fall. Um. That was, like, the first, I saw that. It was very good. Well done, three years, uh, after the fact. Um. Thanks. Uh, that was like my first Connery impression. And then I'm pretty sure at some point I was at one of, I was at a party in your apartment. And that was like the two experiences that I had involving you at BU. So thank you. For, we're yeah, tangentially that's, related. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a common, a common thread. I think is that like some people, like, I think I maybe was at a party in your apartment, but crucially I don't remember it. And I was like, yep, yeah, that, that's, that tracks. Were you guys Usually. frequent? Were you guys frequent party hosters? Or were you that like? I feel like there are types of clusters when you have an apartment off campus. There are the types that have people over all the time, and then there are the exact opposites. Yeah, we were that. We were absolutely that. We like we we moved off campus sophomore year, and uh, stayed in the same spot for three straight years. So it was like off. The, sometimes it was like every week. We like I think our, our, our inaugural party was Drake the party in 2015 um the one i'm most proud of which is the only time we ever got the cops called on us was women of soft rock um and we we had like truly like like 60 like drunk children like jumping up and down in my apartment singing soak up the sun by cheryl crow and the cops came uh which was jesus christ chill as yeah um we were we i like i I know that this is probably how everyone feels about their college experience, but it really was like the, the group of dudes that I lived with was like like a real like ragtag. Like my, my my one of my roommates' last names was literally White Man, and he was like an incredibly rich New Jersey like old money type who like registered our apartment as an LLC as a tax shelter for his like grandmother's five million dollar inheritance, <laughs> and like he like like did blow with his mom on Easter at our apartment. And it was like, so like, like super Italian. This guy uh, sounds so rad. I'm, I'm sorry. Taylor, like, yeah, no, he was, he was like, he was like a real, a real bro. And then like, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was like, it was a good, like a lot of cat, cat, a good sort of vibe. Yeah. Right across my college experience. Uh, real, real quick, Carter. Before you move on to the next question, "Women of Soft Rock" is actually my favorite Pornhub category. 
Thank you. <laughs> Brilliant joke. Go see Armand do stand-up. Yeah. Never again, um, baby. I quit the game. Did you do flat Okay, waffle? so... Oh, yeah. I did... I did... I'm sorry? Did you, did that still did just you flat, flat waffle at BU? I did flat waffle a couple yeah, times, and then I placed third at BU's Funniest before... Oh. my soft, Yeah, it was my sophomore year. Congrats. Still holds true. He's only the third funniest person I know <laughs> at BU. Um, okay, so for the second time, I'm going to move us on to a different topic. The first time it was from Gordon Sondland. The second time it's from Pornhub. Um, the next question, I so we talked about how we like, we, we looked at your articles, right? And you do you research. A, you, you perhaps do not think you are the most prolific writer, but in our opinion, you're pumping out content um, like Armand look at soft rock. And uh, we want to know like how much have, how much of your, um, how much has your process changed since quarantine? Like your output and, and your, um, obviously, like you said, theater is gone forever. So I'm guessing that changes how you approach it as a, as a critic. Yeah, um, it's a good question. I mean, like, honestly, the first couple of months was, were just, which is where at the end of now, have just been like mostly paralysis. Like, I think I've had to like, yeah. we, uh, things really got knocked loose and we wouldn't seven months into living in this apartment, we bought a coffee table so I could be at more than one place than the desk in my room. Like, I think like moving yep. around is so important for me and being in a different, like I had a, an amazing office that had like a view and like was my, like I could shut the door. I had like such an aces writing setup uh, when I was allowed to leave my house. So I like, I think I was a lot more prolific then. Now it's been like a lot of, I have to, I find write down what I want to do the next day, the night before. Like I can't, I, there's very, I'm like, everything is so sort of, glommed together that if I like wake up in the morning and get my stuff going like it can become 10 30 a.m before I even have like nascent thoughts about what I should report on or write but if I have them written down ready to go it helps me a lot and then it's like if I even if I'm like I'll call this person talk to this person and just like the hardest part is starting a story right now I think so if I like if I get someone on the phone or if I have an email out if I, I like I'm sort of like leaving little breadcrumbs to keep myself accountable where it's like well you told this person you were going to interview them today so you have to do it which will make the next part of the story easier it's like tricking myself into working um yeah has been pretty effective but you also like I'm, I'm assuming that like for for a local magazine those articles that you write about like what to do in portland this week i'm sure those drive a lot of traffic from people who just google search it has that like from a business standpoint has that hurt like the magazine so what, what is nice is for the most part, uh, there, there is that the hands don't shake in terms of the like ad executives and Good. The, uh, the editorial content. Like in our office, there was a literal physical separation where like the ad side yeah. was over here and the edit side was over here. Good. Uh, that's, those, those things have become a little muddier just because like we've had to figure out how often we're going to print and like the ad team has been like we've already sold ads about this you don't have to write about these things but it's like we sold ads about whatever like outdoor stuff so can you write some outdoor content because we need and, and like then we can decide to make it you know related to COVID or whatever but there's been a little bit of mud there what we have done is like yeah every, every week I would do just like a roundup of like here are the best things to see in Portland this weekend and uh, we've changed it to like now every person on staff sends me uh I don't think it's like in my whatever my producer tab on the website but they send me their picks for like their favorite piece of non-pandemic content 
and they nice. write up like a little paragraph. So we've like, hmm. we're finding ways to do that. And I do think that like when it first started, we did a good job just like reporting the news and talking to people. Like we were like, we, get, we, we don't have the news team that say like the Oregonian, like the state paper has downtown Portland, but we started this series called um, How We're Coping, where we just like talk to different Portlanders with different jobs. And like my mom, friend's mom is a therapist. So I called her and I was like, therapy's crazy right now, tell me about it. Uh, I, I know this, the, the assistant artistic director at a theater downtown. I called him and was like, what are you doing now? So I think that like right when it broke, we knew what to do and now it's a little bit, it's a little bit muddier. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Well, okay, speaking of it getting a little muddier, recently you published something headlined, Amine Drops Portland Heavy New Video. Yeah. Is it like, is it, so like, I'm asking as like a Los Angeles asshole, is it hard to like constantly stretch to find some sort of actual connection between pop culture and the city of Portland? No, it's fun as hell. It's the best, <laughs> it's the best part of my fucking job because it's not like, because it's not Los Angeles, because it's like, so like it almost, and like maybe no one cares about this except for me, but it feels like a fun, like almost, almost satirical. Like, like I, I yeah. published a thing a couple months ago of like, this Harry Styles song maybe mentions this Oregon poet, right? Like, it's like... The, You're kind of pushing the limit. You're like, let's see how far I can stretch something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then it just, like, it makes my, from a very lazy place, it makes my job easier, where it's like, okay, cool, like, three movies in the next three months will have some sort of Oregon connection. So I don't have to mm -hmm. figure out which ones to cover. I just cover those, and I end it. It, it's easy like my plate doesn't fill up and i don't have to make that many decisions wait what are your what are the top three movies based in portland <sighs> or filmed in portland either or you're gonna kill me or semi-related um, to portland at all yeah <laughs> um i mean like my own private idaho gus van sant absolute classic hates the criterion channel tomorrow or whenever june 1st is for pride month uh watch it um okay yeah, my own private Idaho. I I fucking loved Lean on Pete. I don't know if anyone really? saw that. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have I'm no. I watched that because of you. I have oh, no shit. capacity for horse movies. Well, don't so like horses. Here's, here's the thing about Lean on Pete is that it's like the anti-horse movie. Like it's this. Oh. It's it's this. It's a story about like homelessness and poverty, which I think that like there's recently been a shift in the way that the Northwest is being depicted especially on film in acknowledging that this is like an like I think that there was that there was a period where we were like Portlandia granola Sheen. I love that show man Portlandia is rocks like I think a bunch of people who are from here resent it but they're wrong it's one of the best it's I, it's incredible comedy but like I think like with like Deborah Granick's Leave No Trace and uh Andrew Higgs Leon Pete there's been an effort to be like, this is a really underserved, poor part of the country with some of the, the, the most rampant homelessness in the nation. Uh, and it's super blue collar and the policy on a local level, on a county level, on a state level, isn't working. And I think that there's, I'm inspired, like I was in Boston when I was watching these movies, right? Um, and Leon Pete specifically, there's a really powerful scene where like, it's about this kid who's like, whose father passes away. And then he like takes this horse and he tries to find his aunt. He like, like essentially like walks to Wyoming to try to find 
his aunt, and he makes friends with the horse, but the horse doesn't know who he is, obviously. It sort of like underlines this thing in horse movies where it's like, horses aren't magic, you're alone. It's a <laughs> um, and, then, and then he comes back to Portland and like lives as a homeless youth on the street. And like as a kid who used to drive in from like the woods to, to hang out in Portland and like see these, you see homeless teenagers walking around the places that it showed me on, you know, that Lean on Pete showed me on screen. Uh, and not give it a second thought. I don't know. I think there's there's been a, there's a thoughtful movement to re recast the way that we think about the Northwest, not as like some sort of bougie playground for rich people, but as like a place that's struggling. Um, yeah, that is inspiring. And I think I'm rambling, but I do think that that um, that has driven a lot of the recent films that have really connected with me about this place. There you go. Okay. Nice. Uh, and then you again. We we mentioned this plenty, but you're you're a member of the media elite. You're an editor in your 20s. You're the youngest. You're the rookie of the year at Portland Monthly Magazine. Um, your, your dream profile, your dream interview, like a long read where you hang out with somebody for days, who would it yeah, be? That's such a good question. Bob. Like not even, not even te- like it doesn't need to be related to Portland if it just need, if it just wants to be someone that you want to hang out with. Like we're not going to. Yeah. Damn. I, that, I'm trying to think. Like I, I will say not to do my own horn, but like for the first two months of my job, I got like three incredible interviews in a row like I, I got to talk to Anderson Cooper on the phone I was talking to Anderson Cooper on the phone while Trump was like what while the impeachment inquiry was announced we were talking about a little life by Hanya Nagahara on the phone <laughs> while Nancy Pelosi was announcing the impeachment inquiry which is t- tight <laughs> That's yeah. so meta. Oh my god That's incredible. Uh, did he cut you off he was like sorry I gotta go or was he a good no, guy so he, no, he was, so he was late to our call because they were like figuring out, they, it was clear that it was going to happen. So I think they were strategizing. He was like, hey, I'm so sorry. It's been crazy here, as you know. But I don't think either of us knew what was happening while we were on the phone. Like he had geared up for it. But then okay. like, yeah. I turned my cell phone over on my desk, having been on like my office phone and looked at it and saw the New York Times announcement. And I was like, that was while I was on the phone with him. Anyway, That's that was chill. I talked to John Waters on the phone, which was bizarre. King, uh, absolute king. Absolute king. And then Todd Haynes, who's like my favorite filmmaker who actually did live in Poland, did live wow. um, for <laughs> a while. And like, I guess it's still kind of a, a figure here. Like Todd Haynes would maybe be my answer, but if it could be anyone at all, um, god damn. Like, I love like Barry Jenkins, obviously. Yo. Like, right? Yeah. Like, I would actually, he'd be cool. If, he'd be cool. What I like, if Beale Street could talk, I think he's like one of the best American films of the last 15 years. Um, and I would like to just do like sort of a deep dive into how and why he made that movie, how he did. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. That's, yeah. I have not, I don't, I think I'm not dreaming big enough. Like, I don't know if I have. I mean, from a reporter's standpoint, like if, I feel like Barry Jenkins would be nice to sit down at lunch with. I feel like he'd be nice to the service. Like he feels like a chill guy to hang out with, which I think is conducive to a good profile. Like if you're doing one of those deep dives where you like just hang out with but someone I- for three days straight. Yeah, but I I wonder, like, I'm trying to figure out the person, like, the point of a good profile, right, is to see the disconnect between someone's, like, persona and someone's personality. Dude, GQ's Steve Buscemi profile did exactly, it was incredible. It's such a good read. I haven't read it. 
And and I mean, Me GQ usually GQ usually does this, but the photo shoot afterwards, oh, oh, incredible! I, I, love I actually I subscribe I subscribe to GQ after the Robert Pattinson profile, so I will be getting my first issue. And your so hat, your free hat that they're giving and, people. Hell yeah! That's yeah. Funny. Okay, the to touch on the Harry Styles profile, like just very quickly, Wait, when Harry it came Styles? out, Armand and I. No, Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson. What the fuck? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, all British so people are the same card? Really? Are we going to do that? Yeah. Be racist against yes. people. They invented yes. it. Yes. Um, no, I understand. They're, they're very impressed. Um, Armand and I were arguing when it came out about, um, about like, taste and the yes. importance of, the importance of, like, uniqueness in having good taste. And, the difference between something being unique and something being good and like you appreciating something that maybe not everyone else does or, or perhaps the opposite. Like if everyone appreciates something, can it still be good and can it still be in good mm. taste? That's a good question. Well, well I want to hear what you well, guys we, we, arrived, we you arrive at. We just about it to each other. Oh, so. Yeah, no, I mean, we basically I'm an, just argued in Instagram DMs. <laughs> Dude, it's so funny when we argue in either Twitter or Instagram DMs because we have each other's numbers, and I just like that. Oh my, we do it every single have, day. We have separate conversations. One is us yelling at each other, and one is us like being very kind of being like, "You look good today, yeah. King." Um, yeah. But I don't know. Per- it, personally, I don't think that I don't think that popularity makes something of less taste, like like as an isolated item right? Like, I don't think that, like, ruins something. I just think that it's also a, I think that it's a uh, sign that you actually pay attention to things past the surface level that we all kind of pay attention to things on social media. If you are into something, or you think that something that not a lot of people know about or think highly about is cool. You know what I mean? Like, there's a, because there's a surface level where everybody on the planet likes Harry Styles because, well, he hasn't missed yet, but also because he has a, a massive fandom backing him. And like the watermelon sugar video, 15 Instagram stories in a row, right? People. This is what this is what really. It was no, no, it was the day that the <laughs> yeah. watermelon sugar video came out. So I'm just using it as an example. Yeah. That doesn't make watermelon sugar any less of a good song. That doesn't make Fine Line any less of a good album. But if you're like. Yo, I'm super into like I don't. I mean, Rima Sawayama kind of blew up with this new yeah. album. But if you say it's like, yo, that album was good, and not a lot of people know about it, that shows that you're paying attention to a music release radar rather than taking something that's been given to you via social media and processing it that way. Like, yeah, I'm not saying that it's mutually exclusive. I'm just saying that there are two different ways of understanding culture. I think too that like crucially something that is like universally acclaimed as like fine line is is really good and it's really safe like i think it's like if you're if you're evaluating exactly it if you're evaluating the work like that doesn't make it less good it doesn't but but what is the what is it is it challenging anything and if it isn't what is it saying and if it's just giving you pleasure that's great and that's wonderful and that's useful but like another thing that i think was obviously universally beloved is like little women um but but little women intentionally like it, it there's thought in the 
screenplay and the direction of that movie that's very visible that says like, hi, here's this cultural artifact that we all know and love. And I'm going to sort of like fuck it up a little bit to tell you some new things. Like there's like a, a beating heart and a voice inside of it. And that connected on an incredibly large level. And like, sure, liking Little Women doesn't mean that you have good taste. But I think that like, really appreciating and being able to look at Little Women and like, pick apart the things that make it special. Uh, I don't know if I'm arriving at like a cogent, coherent point here. But I yeah. think that, that there's, I think that there's a difference. And I don't think that, I think that for me, the question that's like, oh, does something like truly qualify as great? Uh, goes beyond like how many people like it and gets more to like what okay it's universally beloved like is it doing anything else is it is it is, is there something on yeah is there something beyond like yeah, these my, really good pop songs yeah i mean i would like my i think you make a really good point about like is it challenging anything and and what is it saying and for me the comparison that i think of right away is like Kendrick makes To Pimp a Butterfly and Damn mm -hmm. within the series of a few years. And then Drake comes out with Views, like Ugh. basically <laughs> along the same time. Big, big score uh. now. Both of them are like massively critically acclaimed. And both of the albums from Kendrick have massive societal and political connotations and messages. And Views is just like, come vibe with me. Um, and I okay, and I'm just the wait, Connor, say it because Armand's such a big Drake guy. No, no, views, views isn't views isn't that good. But what I mentioned in my Drake and late capitalism blog post, <laughs> go read, that go read inexplicably it. Sorry, so actually, good. I actually, I'm actually leaving the meeting. Um, <laughs> is, no, no, no. That okay. So first of all, that Drake unintentionally makes points about late capitalism. He's not doing it on purpose, but his career speaks on that wider Why level. you gotta fight with me at Cheesecake? You know I love to play <laughs> Yes. So, okay, Drake's views, There's I made this, Carter, I made this exact comparison though, because Drake's views is unintentionally yes, but still, Great Gatsby, and To Bip a Butterfly is uh, How the Other Half Lives. That's just what it is. It's, I mean, like, I don't know. I fucking love Drake. I'm sorry. He's the worst, which is what makes him the best. He's the most insecure person in rap other than Nav. You fucking rocks. I love him. I do, like, I think the last Drake thing that I really did love was More Life. And I do, like, like I... Underrated. It's really good. I yes. do, I, yeah, but I, I think that that's, that's my point. Like, yeah, both Drake and Kendrick are really important. And, like, Jarmon's point, Kendrick doing more doesn't mean that Drake isn't doing anything. And like, yeah. and like the, the there's there's this, this certain saturation point of like certain like I was thinking about this with the new Lady Gaga album this week. Like sometimes people become so famous and like such a big deal and so ingrained in just like our consciousness that they that like anything they do becomes interesting as a symbol, whether yeah. or not they mean it to be, and that's not less valuable. That uh, there's just like it's not just because they didn't mean it doesn't mean that it isn't worth analyzing and it isn't creating the impact that it's creating. Whereas I would not put Drake or Lady Gaga toe to toe artistically with Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, like this is like sort of, sort of off topic, but I also just think it's a really interesting conversation. Do you think there's somebody who's like, maybe close to that threshold that you mentioned with Lady Gaga where like 
any like they're so ingrained in our in our minds that anything they do is going to be worthy of acclaim or or you know in-depth criticism but maybe they're Kanye not West. quite there yet but Kanye you can West. see them getting there Kanye well, Kanye is that like I think that Kanye has actually burned most of his goodwill at this point yeah I think he's I reaching the point <laughs> I oh I don't I do too I just mean like as a, as like yeah at large right like it's like people aren't active like people were actively rooting against Lady Gaga in like 2013 just as like a reaction to her being really famous and then like that's yeah. part of the fun of like watching the celebrity implode and then try to rebuild themselves like there's like this sort of archetypal narrative that everyone kind of goes through whereas Ken, or uh, Kanye like just like shat the bed and it's fun to watch him keep shitting the bed but i don't i don't think that people's ha have much renewed sympathy for him and i don't think that he can't get it back i just don't think he has yeah, yeah. i mean i stockholm syndrome myself into liking jesus as king which i do genuinely like now oh but God. you know that's so dude, i'm sorry i'm like, sorry kenny g and clips <laughs> on the same song dude i don't want to hear it dude that's insane <laughs> but he but. genuinely Stockholm syndromed himself because we yes, made a podcast yeah, yeah. about like right like right before Jesus is King dropped. We made a podcast about basically Kanye. We had two and, Kanye themed episodes in a row somehow. I don't know how that happened. Yeah. I mean it's um, because they were both friends of ours and our friends have similar tastes. That's true. Um okay, so <laughs> good conversation but moving on. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so, so Connor, we talked about like writing in quarantine and producing in quarantine, but like generally as a human being with feelings, yeah. how has it what? been for you? How is like your living situation? You, you mentioned like you're in your apartment, you have a roommate. How has that been? Like, what's what's life like for you? Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's like it was really scary for me at first. Obviously, like like ever since I was a kid, I think that like of all the dystopian scenarios, an invisible virus ripping through the world was sort of like top of the fear list. Uh, so yeah. I was pretty just like paralyzed and stuck at first. And I, even though it never got very bad at all here, it hit really early because like the initial epicenter was Seattle. And yeah. we're right, right there. So like it, it happened very quickly and it's been happening for maybe a week or two longer than it has in like other places in the country. Uh, and that jump was interesting to sort of just like be ahead of it and be like, I'm so scared and no one else is scared. Um, but day to day, like my roommate and I have known each other for I think 10 years. We like grew up performing together. She actually went to Northeastern. Um, oh, that's super sick. Yeah, so yeah. like we're, we're very close and like she's great and we give each other space and then sometimes we don't and we hang out and it's like honestly pretty nice like obviously it would be sick if i could like ever have sex again i don't think that that's me probably <laughs> like like i that's driving me insane. yeah yeah um you're on the right podcast to complain about that yeah jesus uh, christ <laughs> <laughs> yeah insane. we were we were complaining An officially stamped incel uh, yeah, we podcast. were complaining about not having sex before quarantine, before it was uh, the Totally. I mean, same, but, like, especially now, I, like, there is some, yeah, whatever, some dude, like, up the street, and I have been waking up kind of sometimes when he wasn't, like, backpacking in Arizona, um, and okay. uh, uh, obviously that's not, I don't know, so, like, there's the frustration of, like, not having a physical body and, like, not feeling like I'm a, like, I've, I've had to do yeah. yoga and just, like, and, like, push-ups or, like, something to be, like, you have hands and arms and shit, um but also i'm an only child and like i said i grew up in a log cabin in the middle of the woods so like i'm actually really used to being 
on my own. And part of it is like a little bit, that's triggering is not the word, but like, like a little bit like, oh shit, I feel like I felt when I was like 15 and like stranded in the woods with like no internet and like, just like get like hanging out with my dog. Like there's a little bit of that feeling static, but by the same token, like, you know, I, I like reading and watching movies and like slowing down. I, I like slowing yeah. down. I feel like yeah. there's like so much of my job in my life and like the in world, you know, has like what's important is like to focus, which is such a cliche thing to say, but it's like, I don't like, I'm not that worried about like how many, how, how hot I look on Instagram right now, like a little bit, obviously, but it's a little like, <laughs> uh, I'm more interested in like getting pleasure out of my free time and like, like reading shit that matters to me and like talking to people that matter to me. And like that sort of reframe has been, has been really necessary. I think, I think that like I've gone through a lot of growth in the last two years and this is maybe the last component where it's like, all right, now like knock your priorities into place a little bit. Uh, so that has been cool. And like, I'm like, I have a balcony in my apartment. Um, we have like plants out there. It's, I, li- I live in the middle of like a pretty residential neighborhood that I can walk around and like, I don't know, I, all things considered in this like hell nightmare, I'm fine. And then, so uh, speaking of like, speaking of being in quarantine and being stuck in your apartment, uh, this is a fashion podcast, uh, whether we, we like it or not, it technically <laughs> is one. Um, in terms of work from home fits, like, I am tale of two cities here. I sometimes wear loafers around the house because I just like the feel of a hard bottom shoe. Uh, but like Carter hasn't worn real pants in two months. Uh, so we want to know in the terms of dressing for uh, work from home, like where do you lie on the spectrum between myself and Carter? Yeah, I don't want to be a neolib, but I think I am something <laughs> like I uh, n- no Klobuchar, but I'm at the center. Um, <laughs> I think at first I, I like bought into that like fucking like narc ass journalism Twitter trope of like you have to dress oh my for God. work every day like it's the only way you'll be productive and uh, I was like wearing jeans like a like an absolutely truly narc.com um, and yep. that was like it wasn't it it seemed like it was doing something until it was clear that it wasn't and like part of I think like my great journey in quarantine has been like just be comfortable like just do what feels good broadly in your life like relationship wise everywhere just do what feels good you dumbass like that's all that matters so I think I then broke hard in the other direction and was just like yeah not wearing real pants wearing like the same sort of stained and like loose adidas like drawstring pants for like six days in a row and was like kind of a slob and now I feel like I go back and forth where like when I really need to get my shit together like if I have a couple days of like cool I went to bed drunk I woke up hungover I like uh, haven't got to really put on pants for 48 hours. Yeah, like this is a pants day. Yeah, but um, I do feel like I also have like I've slowly acquired more like athleisure. Not to disappoint Gia Tolentino, but um, yeah. <laughs> your uh, voices, baby. Yeah, I'd, like I ordered a bunch of shit from Adidas, uh, cool. and like so it, it's been like I feel like I can still like I'm I'm exploring a new like island of my style where it's like oh like here are the like you know the the hoodie sweats like sneaker combo that really works for me which is nice yeah and I also feel comfortable inside of them and then in terms of like just 
substance use? What, what's, what's it been like? Like, are you upping your uh, alcohol and other thing consumption? Or are you dropping it down? I know some people are using this as an opportunity like to cleanse, whereas I yeah. am just getting blasted every single night. So I, It goes back and forth. Like, I think that from when I was probably 19 to like 23, I was an absolute monster, <laughs> like, like Ooh. drinking six days a week. Like, and when, and then when I was home over the summer last year, like not really doing anything, I would just like get absolutely stoned out of my mind at 7 p.m. until and sort of like maybe watch something I don't really know, like eat a whole yeah. meal of brie and then go to bed at 11:30, like on top of my covers with the lights still on. And I was like, well, maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. So I had already tamped down on that a little bit before I came in here, and at first I was going really hard on the weed and then like I had a, a good old-fashioned panic attack at some point early on when I was like two edibles deep and so I was like cool cool bro like let's pump the brakes a little backtrack bit. yeah yeah uh and now it feels pretty normal like like last night I was stoned when like Portland lit on fire but I wasn't so stoned that I was like oh my god it's the end of the world like I have my I feel like I generally yeah. have my bearings about me and i'm not like trying to obliterate myself but i also like do make dumb bougie cocktails like probably at least once a day i mean i took a recipe from you i i made Did, an earl yeah. gray infused martini Congrats. it didn't taste I, as much like earl gray as i would have liked but that's okay it still got me drunk. sorry I'm sorry to hear it uh, which is interesting is that that a, i think i actually please i was gonna say is that a connor reed original uh, no, I absolutely Googled it, but I was like, I have a bunch of loose leaf Earl Grey, and my, so my, my friend, uh, her grandparents are, like, super rich, and they have, they, they jet between the West Hills of Portland and uh, Palm Springs, and so their house is just sitting empty uh, up in the hills, uh, and so Jenny texts them when we ran out of booze before, like, liquor stores were reopened. Also, Oregon is, like, weird and puritanical in that you can't sell hard liquor in grocery stores. So all that's the, the most ridiculous rule. I did not know that that was a, the case in anywhere before I started college. And yeah. then I was driving into New Jersey and I wanted to stop and get liquor because I was going to my friend's house. And they were like, yeah, no, this is it's a way. New Jersey, New Jersey and Oregon have the same. Cause like, we're also the only, we, we, you can't pump your own gas legally in either state, which is, what? so I what don't, I don't know how to, I, I pump my gas once in Seattle by myself with like my handshaking and that's it. And then you don't know uh, how to do it. I, I like hate get it. it. I think I can remember. I don't know. I don't. I, mean, I just don't drive. You put anymore. the pump in the car. Like it's yeah. Whatever. Like, I don't know, that law is so stupid. Super. Yeah. They're like it helps. It. It. Whatever. Uh, anyway, super hard to get booze. Uh, all the liquor stores are like stayed on. They were closed. So Jenny like drove out to her grandparents' house and we're like, hey, can we like ransack your garage for like bougie shit? And they're like, yeah, of course. So she came back with like boxes full of yep. like hard liquor. Which you love to say me. that. I mean, like I had so much gin that I was like, I have to infuse some of this if, if we're gonna make good use of it. I'm, I'm glad that my parents are like, they're not, they're not drinkers, but like they, they know good alcohol and they like good alcohol. We have a yeah. very nice bar that's always always feeling full. So, I mean, I don't know. That's congrats. Thank you, man. Yeah. I'm I'm a lucky yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy for you both. I've been cleansing since March. Have you been like like fully sober this whole? Yeah, time? cold that turkey. Is so, cold turkey. So that's so gross. That's so gross. <laughs> like, like the last, like the. 
when, the last time I saw Armand was probably the last time that like I was really messed up. That How was my favorite. That was my favorite night in London. That might be my favorite say, night in London. You guys were in London, right? Like when this shit went down. I was studying abroad. He was visiting. Okay. But we recorded a special version of the podcast in my friend's Airbnb in Notting Hill. <laughs> and we, we mobbed to a club. And it genuinely, it was one of the most fun nights I had going out while I was abroad. That's What was, what was the club? Uh, Tiger Tiger. Oh my God, it was, yeah. yeah, I went to Tiger Tiger the night, the day that I landed in London in 2017. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a safe one. You know that you're getting in. You know what the music is. And we were a massive group, so we just played it safe but i had a good time all, all the same honestly yeah it was that was fun. a good night that was a very good night honestly um right, because we're yeah. because we're uh, so good at transitions uh tiger tiger to <laughs> online shopping um <laughs> i want to know again like, i know carter's made that joke twice now but we're not doing it for, for listeners we're doing it for yeah. content yeah, listeners i don't care like i'm grinning we're gonna make that delighted. joke a million times I want to like, I want to like prep our audience for next season. I know we made the incel joke like at least seven times an episode. In it's coming like back, baby. Fall. Armand and I were just talking the other day. Pegging might be the new thing uh, that we joke about seven Same. times an episode. Yeah. So also, uh, well, just just prepare yourself. Carter and I think that which is this actually plays well to the fact that you've been stone cold sober and I just go off every night. Um, yeah. That like. We think that as podcast hosts, like having a having like a dichotomy between what the hosts are up to, because I mean, if we're being honest, last semester we were the same person. We just did the same Correct. things. We got our Correct. hearts broken. We drank too much, and we watched sports. Like that's about it, right? So we think that it'd be good for the brand, like if I specifically got a girlfriend and Carter did it. That would be ideal for me, because we can kind of build on that when we. Talk. The ideal situation and for that's... me would be the exact opposite. <laughs> But we you can't like, be in happy relationships. That can't. Yeah, you have to encapsulate the breadth of the human experience. Like, it's like some yes. people have girlfriends and some people don't, and that's everyone. Yeah, but yeah. like, if we exactly. were to both be, we could do a podcast with both of us being lonely, but we could not do a podcast if both of us were fulfilled romantically. That would not work at all. If we were both happy, what the, this what thing would this would suck. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Right, anyway. Nice question. Nice so question. I saw you. Did you post on Twitter, like, immediately after you got your age 24 hat? Absolutely, yeah. Like, was that the first thing you did in it? So, was that the, is that the last thing that you've bought online? Or was, like, you mentioned an Adidas uh, mass purchase. What's, like, the last thing yeah, you got? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that maybe the last thing... Oh, no, when, um, when Carly Rae dropped the B-sides, I ordered them on cassette. And so that's <laughs> on its way. Wait, wait, wait. Vinyl or cassette? Cassette. I have a boombox on this desk. Yes, he does. Of course, uh, he does. Christ. Yeah, I'm the worst. Uh, side, by the price. way, side B, incredible. So good. So good. I that think it hangs together. Song. It hangs. Oh yeah, this uh, this love is. It hangs together as an album better than Dedicated does. But I don't think that like the individual moments are as bright as like Julian or something. Fully agree. That's yeah. a good take on that. Um, That's an incredible so yeah. last purchase. I, th I think it was. I think it was the B sides. It, or I, it was like they were kind of. Uh, at the same time, but I also did order uh, a shirt that just says Annette Benning on it. Um, <laughs> uh, yep. Girl, girls on Tops, which is a, a great, a great website that just is like plain T-shirts with female filmmaker or uh, actress. That's great. Their names printed on it. Yeah, it's, it's sick. 
Oh, I might actually. That's, I would that's buy great. some. It, what's what is the shirt? Has the shirt come in yet? Yeah, I would. No, it's coming from the UK, so it seems okay. like who the f- knows how that works at this point. Let us let us know if it's like a nice actual T-shirt, like they didn't print it on a Jilden. Because if it is like a nice T-shirt, I'll, I'll I'm gonna buy something from there. That's yeah, that's some shit that, that Armand and I would buy. Yeah. Hell yeah! All right. Okay. Um, before we leave the A24 subject, I want to know if you think like, are the A24 kids gonna rule the world in five years, or are they gonna like turn against each other and hate each other, a la Lena Headley and Jerome Flynn? Absolutely, the latter. <laughs> yeah. This is this is this like yeah. This cannot stand. It's the the whole thing. No. The machine. The center cannot hold. We're gonna agree. Okay, so I. <laughs> they're doomed. They're they're all doomed. Yeah. Okay, so Connor, I mentioned earlier that the reason I watched Lean on Pete uh, was because of you and your propaganda campaign. It's the same reason I listened to uh, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, the Fiona Apple. Fiona Apple album, um, I would highly recommend. But um, every year you do publish like a, a list of your favorite art and media from the last 12 months, um, from best movies to, to best albums. Um, I wanna hear like your list of favorites since you started quarantining. Movies, music, theater, the smash reunion, whatever we wanna call that. Uh, Miss America on Hulu, uh, tweeting Margot Martindale at you, which is like, so on brand for you it's not even funny i think um what have what have been some of your favorites yeah i i always love when people sort of ask me to reveal my like inner serial killer like i truly have like seven notes on my phone with like different like release date this is like this is like some yeah each for the deadly sins yeah like a good serial killer i'm gonna i'm gonna fill someone up with vinyl copies of uh fetch the bolt cutters dude a fiona apple themed serial killer would be so sick at this point paper bag over the head yeah yeah. Um, honestly would not break the top 10 strangest stories of the year either and it's only May. no one would care yeah it's like you're gonna have to wait for an off year to to drop that because that's yeah that deserves some airtime. Yeah, so I do keep like a running list of every album I like, every movie I see, uh, and then like on another running list of like my favorites. So um, on the on the film front, since quarantine started, one of the, the best things I've seen is Emma, which is not the um, Jane Austen adaptation, but wow. the, um, so Pablo Lorraine is this Chilean filmmaker. He made Jackie, like the, the, the Natalie Portman. Yeah, movie. Um, Emma is his like latest. It was it was supposed to premiere theatrically uh, in at the end of April. Obviously, did not. Uh, so it was like free for one day on movie, and uh, it's this like reggaeton musical thriller about this woman whose like marriage to Gael Garcia Bernal is dissipating and she like tries to get her son back who she had to give back to an orphanage and she's it's like she like plays all these weird mind games there's like really beautiful sex scenes and like this really good reggaeton soundtrack and she like at one point my my uh, computer background right now is her holding a flamethrower shooting it over a cliff uh if you can find Emma 1M highly recommend um I also loved Never Rarely Sometimes Always which is the Eliza Hitman movie um, about a, a girl in Pennsylvania having to get an abortion in New York City. Yeah, um, I heard really good things about that one. Really fucking good. And 
movie-wise. Oh, like, so my, my roommate and I uh, have been going back through, she'd never seen any Todd Haynes movies, and like, et cetera, he's like my favorite filmmaker, so like, I were watching all of them, um, and his movie Far From Heaven is this, like, excellent Julianne Moore melodrama from 2002 that is like a direct response to and reference to this like uh, this 1955 movie called All That Heaven Allows which is a Douglas Sirk was this uh Jewish like expat from Germany who moved to the U.S. in the 30s like escaped the Nazis and he was like an experimental German theater director and he ended up making like really overblown melodramas for Universal Studios for a long time and just like made all of these like quote-unquote women's pictures and, like the most famous is this movie called All That Heaven Allows about a woman like who falls in love with her gardener uh it's just like the best use of Technicolor I've probably ever seen uh I wept it's so good it's so 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 good so those are those are the those are the film picks like musically vegetable cutters yeah a1 absolute god tier uh, did you think it was a did you think it was a 10 like pitch point? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that yeah. it uh, yeah, was, yeah, I was my roommate filmed me responding to it like there yeah, it was so good. <laughs> uh, I also wore a Marling's uh song for our daughter. It like really blown my mind. Um I love the I forget what it's called but the the Kenny Beats uh Denzel Curry mm. collab is really good. Um I like the I like the animated thing that they did with that. That was pretty yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, the it's it's also like the only use of the Spotify animations that I've liked in recent memory. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, what are, what were your thoughts on Future Nostalgia? I thought Future Nostalgia ruled. I mean, I think the Boys Will Be Boys is a shitty song, but the rest of it yeah. is great. Yeah. It just feel um, it felt ham fisted, honestly. And right, because it's it's if if she had set herself up to talk about that elsewhere on the record it'd be sick and like what she's saying obviously like needs to be said i guess but it's just yeah. like it needs to be said in the context of this otherwise like pure disco sweat album like it's not yeah it's not yeah. here this ain't this ain't the venue um the the charlie xcx quarantine album rules of how i'm feeling now uh gray by moses sumney is amazing mm-hmm. uh, who did a moses sumney story who was fuck? I can't remember. But yeah, it was I, I need to I need to listen to that. I listen to a lot of music, but not not a lot of like recent releases. The, I yeah, like I try to do yeah. diligent, uh, you know, diligently stay up on new shit. I also like the last one that like really resonated with me. I, I love uh, Shiva's Palaces, and uh, the Dawn of Diamond Dreams. Their new record is there. You go. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, I didn't listen to Beach House before quarantine, but now I'm a big Beach House guy, which is yeah. indicative of the way that I've been feeling. Yeah. Well, um, 2011, man. Thank you, dude. I saw yeah. memes about I saw memes about men faking listening to Beach House to, you know, uh, flirt with depressed women, and I was like, well, I can and just then- do it. <laughs> like I can yeah, just listen. I don't need to put it on your Instagram story. Yeah. What? I no, I didn't put it on my I posted a Beach House song because I was super into I was also like gone. But I posted like <laughs> Lazuli, which is incredible. Bloom is like the one that I keep coming back to. I listen to so their good. entire discography, but Bloom is insane. Yeah. And then my boy Sam posted tagged me on an on his Instagram story yep. and said, This is him, officer. This is the guy pretending to listen to Beach House to flirt with Japan's <laughs> girls. And like like I get it, but if you look at my like 
I use Apple Music. It's so like the spot, like the Apple Music Spotify rap thing. Like I do actually listen. It doesn't matter, but whatever. Um, don't don't <laughs> try redeem to like yourself. I'm trying to vindicate myself. Like it fucking yeah. matters. Um, so is there anything? Is there any media that you consumed that like you absolutely hated? I mean, like personally, I my like third or fourth day of self isolation when I got back from the UK, I watched Cats and I for the first time. And I thought that that was going to be the peak of my insanity. I was wrong. But, like, do you miss, like, watching a, a dickless Jason Derulo, like, kind of hump around, you know, the, the soundstage? So I did buy Cats on iTunes the minute that it came out, and I have watched it three times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been $19.99 American dollars on Tom Hooper's Cats. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think about this a lot. Like, I feel like when I was a kid – like it was just weird but like my dad and like my friends would make fun of me be like you love every movie you see and I was like great because I watch things that I think I will like and I think that still is true like I've developed obviously more of a critical taste but it's like yeah I'm not gonna waste my time with shit that I know is gonna make me mad probably but a nice outlet for that is that every single Friday like starting actually with Cats my uh, my friends in LA and uh, one of my friends who's actually back from New York and living back in Portland and then my roommate and I go on a zoom call and like watch a different shitty movie every friday um and that has been a nice outlet for the trash like we started what's been the what's been the playlist i have it on my computer here actually there's like we have a a list of things we will watch and things we have watched um because i did that with tall girl with my friend josie hell yeah that movie rocks dude how was tall girl okay loki okay so first of all 100 uh not 100 an hour and 40 minutes flies by. Like, the runtime does not feel at all as long as it should. Um, the thing about Tall Girl is, like, that there were intentional choices made. They weren't good, but there are, like, <laughs> filmmaking risks that, the like, the shots are weird and, like, bizarre, but they're intentionally that way. That doesn't make it any better, but it makes it more fun to watch. Like, like the person who put it together has an artistic eye, which is really funny because the movie itself is like utter dog shit. Right, it's like when a when a talented director gets like a, an Apple commercial, right? Where it's like you have to yeah. write to this dumb brief, yeah. but like you're trying to be an artist, and that that tension is like hilarious usually. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And it's like I mean, you're doing it over Zoom, so I don't know if you guys like yell at the TV as you're watching it. Via absolutely, Zoom. absolutely, absolutely. It's a perfect movie for yelling at the TV. I will I'm adding say. Adding it to that. our list. I'm adding it to our list. Let's go. Right <laughs> Uh, okay, so the ones that we have watched in order, we start with Cats. Uh, we watched Winter's Tale. Has anyone seen Winter's Tale? No. Nope. My God, you guys. Okay, fuck. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, well, probably my favorite <laughs> film-going experience in a theater. It's like this fantasy about Colin Farrell falling in love with a woman who has magical tuberculosis in the 1910s in New York City. And he's raised by Russell Crowe, who is a demon named Pearly. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so that he falls in love with this woman. And then there's time travel. Will Smith plays the devil. Uh, it's like, uh, yeah, it's one, it's an, it's an old timer. There's like a dog that's named horse that like flies <laughs> Colin Farrell around. I I like don't have. Yo, this sounds sick. What? You gotta do it, dude. Yeah, it's like I guess it's condensed from this like beloved fantasy novel that's like eight hundred pages, but it's just like a real nightmare, frame to frame, good times. Uh, LOL, 
which is the uh, Miley Cyrus Demi Moore movie, Twilight, Valentine's Day, Showgirls, which is another absolute classic if you haven't seen it. Showgirls, Um, I remember seeing ads about it when I was a kid. Yeah, it was like always on VH1. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then last week we watched From Justin to Kelly, which is the like notorious. Okay, this, so I don't know if this is true, this just might be an urban legend, but like I think originally, like one of the part of the deal with American Idol was that the winner and the runner up were always going to have to star in a movie. So in 2003, after the first season of American Idol wrapped, they released a movie called From Justin to Kelly, which stars Kelly Clarkson, and then American Idol season one runner-up, Justin Guarini. And it's a musical set during spring break in Florida with, like, some original songs and some not original songs. And I think, like, one of the reviews at the time called it, like, it was, like, worse than the staff of a SeaWorld performing Grease from memory. I think, like, I couldn't outdo that as a That's a phenomenal review. It's really good, yeah. It's inspiring. Uh, But it's, like, just a lot of sort of 2003 sweatsuits and, like, absolutely void of sexual tension glances, like, singing, like, like vacant R&B. The choreography is either, like, balls to the wall insane or, like, walking in a straight line. Um, Highly recommend. But, yeah, that, I think, like, that has gotten gotten the the need to yell at the TV and, like, see shit. Yeah, that is bad. Out is this this like weekly venue for that? And then, so, we, you know, you're a big content guy. You consume a lot of content. Uh, you and I are part of the media elite. Carter isn't. Um, yep. I can't say that enough times. But Happily. like, like from one media elite to the to another, could you explain what Quibi is? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's Quibi? I don't know what Quibi is. Quibi is to to me. Quibi is corporate TikTok. To me, Quibi is what if all of the shows in BoJack Horseman were real? Like, it's like <laughs> the 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 trailers that they run at the beginning of Tropic Thunder with that's, all the stars and actors. Saint, I like when will Quibi pick up Satan's Alley? Um, the Tobey Maguire brought back Priest movie. Fuck yeah, yep. dude! I don't know, dude. Like the the show that can so as I said earlier not to make it too grave but like i felt like i was in a movie about the apocalypse last night right when i was like my city is burning this is a standard yeah. and appliance commercial the real reality stars the president there's a virus killing us all like quibi to me really just feel like window dressing for that same sense of just like absolute dystopian despair because there's a show where like titus burgess shoots a, like a meal out of a cannon at you and you then have to like make that meal and it's a cooking show yeah, what? that's that's from sorry. That's if the the, the shows in sorry, sorry to bother, to bother you. you. Sorry to bother yeah. you. Yes, that's that is the reference that I've been grabbing for. It's absolutely sorry to bother you. Status. That's bizarre, man, dude. Honestly, when I go like to a grocery store to buy liquor because I live in a normal state, um, when <laughs> when there's like when there's like intercoms being like, we at Duracell appreciate our frontline workers. I feel like that that's that's like audio exposition in a dystopian movie. I don't know how 100%. else to feel about it. It's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, I don't want to get too dark. Um, so <laughs> again, uh, you know, member, uh, you're an arts and culture editor. You have a big boy job in the real world, which is not something we can say about any of our previous guests. You're the, you're the only college grad we've we've always done BU and college students. Um, uh. 
So if we may ask, uh, living as a young man in the fourth biggest city on the West Coast, <laughs> what do you, what do you like, what do you spend your money on? You got a paycheck now. Huge claim to fame. Yeah. Um, I mean, funny enough, actually, I, I was like, oh, I finally have a travel budget. So like, uh, right before the world burned, I actually came to LA, uh, which I hadn't been Ooh. since I was a kid. And like all, you know, and as we know, like it's a colony of Boston University in many ways. Like I feel like so yep. many kids move to be or to, to LA after they graduate BU. So like I went down to LA and had a new, like an incredibly sick weekend. I was there for four days. It was great. And I was like, I'm going to spend all my money on this. And then like, I can't ever leave again. So that, <laughs> was, that was, that was the plan. Um, a lot of it, honestly, just because Portland, because I'm so lame and wanky, but like Portland is such a good food city, like one of the best food cities in the world, not to brag. Um, it, uh, I, I bought a lot of food for a long time. I was eating out at restaurants most days of the week and like some of the best restaurants in the country, which was chill as fuck. Um, yeah. and if anybody finds their way into Portland off of BU, like what are, like, where do you recommend? Where are some of the best meals you had? Oh God. That's such a good question. Um, part of this, I have to do. I do have to credit my friend Brooke, who's the editor of Eater PDX, for sort of just like grabbing me by the hand and being like, "Here, here's the good shit." Yeah, um, Eater's Shana, legit, dude. They're sick. They are sick. Yeah, and she does a really good job um, with her incredibly limited resources. Uh, Han Oak is this really great uh, Korean place that, like the, the the chef Peter Cho, who is like a friend and contemporary of David Chang, who makes like. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, Ugly Delicious. Yeah. Peter's Legend. actually on on Ugly Delicious this season, with, but like, they live in the restaurant. It's like their house, so like their kids are just running around, like and like leaving crayons yeah. everywhere while you eat this like like the best food you've ever had. And it's like this really lovely, like fun, playful Korean menu. Gato uh, Gato is literally down the street from me. It's in a parking lot of a Baskin Robbins, and it, it's like it's an Indonesian fusion restaurant uh, that. He's up for the James Beard Award for Best Restaurant in America this year. Um, Holy shit. So good. And Eam is this like Thai barbecue place. It's like a it's like a super group. It's like it's like the traveling Wolverines of food. So it's like uh the the bartender is this famous local bartender who's completely sober. Um the like chefs, it's like a collab between this like major Thai restaurateur and this barbecue dude who owns like all these barbecue trucks. Uh, yeah. Actually, uh, Bon Appetit named his barbecue taco truck the best restaurant in the United States last year. And then he Holy also shit. is a partner in this like Thai barbecue place called Eam, uh, who've been doing really cool like home delivery meals where they give you like a pina colada kit, where it's like you bring the rum, but we have like all of the other mix-ins and like the, the like umbrella and shit. And they just make like this incredible, the best, the best dish in the city of Portland is uh, Eames white curry brisket. That oh, sounds incredible. That sounds amazing. Jesus Jesus Christ. Yeah. Did you, so, but, where did but, you eat when you were in LA real quick? Sorry, I'm sorry, Carter. I'm gonna make this about <laughs> no, it's a, no, just ask more pretentious LA bullshit. It's fine. Woo, baby. <laughs> um, I ate at, uh, what was it, Ma'am Sir? Is that what it's called? Oh. In 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 uh, Silver Lake, I was staying in like uh, Los Feliz Silver Lake. I think it was called oh, Ma'am Sir. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, uh, I I went to like some taco place. Uh, I went to Squirrel, which is like the, the obvious place yeah. to go to Squirrel. I saw Nathan Fielder there. That was my one <laughs> exciting. 
Um, that's all I remember, honestly. I feel like Did you hit any tr- like taco trucks, or was it like a restaurant? No, it was a, it was it was like a hot, it was a restaurant. It was like a window. Ah, uh, okay. But there were like two seats inside. It wasn't it wasn't a truck. It wasn't like a tried okay. and true. Yeah. Taco I'm just truck. wondering. Okay. No, I mean speaking speaking of Armand being pretentious. Um, Woo! I'm I'm wondering like besides food, now that you have a salary, are you? Is your rate of buying like objectively useless pretentious, pretentious shit like going up or going down? Uh, I mean, are you, yeah, are you talking about my Ferrari Lego set? Yes, is that what we're no, talking that's exactly about? what I'm talking. Because like quarantine is weird because you don't. There's not as much opportunity to tell other people that you're better than them, which is like a part yeah. of being pretentious, yeah. right? But also like we have way more. We have way more time to to think that now. So yeah. like. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm interested. It's a good question. I think that like um, uh, I grew up without a ton of money, and so there's like a there's like a constant like don't spend like do you need that do you need that do you need that do you need that sort of like always going off in my head. Which like also just I know it was very it was insane to go to Boston University and be like I think I'm middle class and I'd be like well I'm the poorest person in the universe I guess like, <laughs> oh, like yeah, everyone has insane. a guy. Like, it's, it's yeah. such an, it's a bizarre, being in the Northeast, like, I was like, oh, this is what it's like, okay, yeah, like, there was a, still working through that, but, um, yeah. uh, I think that I've finally quieted that a little bit, like, only since I've been in quarantine, probably, so I've been a little looser, and a little more like, this thing is $50, and I make more than that, and it's okay to spend $50 on this dumb thing. That's uh, right. Yeah, so I do think that, like, I mean, I got... And I have, in addition to my A24 hat, I bought a mug that says First Cow on it uh, because the best film of 2020, First Cow, never got released, but did get an A24 mug printed because it was supposed to come out on March 20th. So I can commemorate it there. I have like a dumb candle from A24 that was $50 that I don't need. I have another candle coming. Like I've- You candle guy? I'm gonna be now, I decided. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, That's the goal. Yeah, I got like this like way too expensive coffee table that was like handmade uh, in like the bougie district. Like I feel I feel a little more liberated to be like it's. I've always thought like it's nice to have nice things. You should always buy the thing that like you you pay for quality. Um, But I've just like not been quite able to untangle that from the fact that like I'm used to not having enough money. Um, Yeah, I have some. Not that not to like perpetuate the notion that journalists are well paid um but i don't have kids or like anything else to deal with and my rent is not insane so like i am in a position where i do have some disposable income and it has been chill there you go um so uh for anybody uh listening connor is an incredible twitter follow uh at nbc s smash correct correct yeah uh, so, just but, like but, top five Twitter follows for sure. Genuinely, genuinely incredible. Uh, but you recently tweeted that you were going to get a few stick and pokes and pretend that you knew anything about guitar so that people would start thinking you're good at sex. Um, is that like a is that like a gay, a gay thing or should Carter and I do it? I think that I think that it depends on how you want to brand yourself because like, if you want to be a soft boy regardless of sexuality, that's the move. You're talking straight to Armand. Well, I mean, I have, I already, ha- I have two professional tattoos. I don't need stick and pokes. That's the one. Yeah, thing. but you need, like, you need it to be like wispy <laughs> and like it's, it needs to be like an alien or like, like a, f-ing, I don't know, like like a garden tool or just like something that's just like a, a line, like an incoherent line drawing, like maybe a face, <laughs> right? Dude, to, to sort of say I like, was, I, uh, 
I, like, I, really, I spent time at LACMA and like, I really like, like, right. Like it's like, that's <laughs> yes. Yes. It's yeah. not, it's not about like having a tattoo. It's about having a stick and poke that you can just like talk about. Somebody, I, somebody, I, don't, do I don't know if I could do a stick and poke. Um, honestly. Yeah. I don't know. Like, cause it, I, I think that that those are the, like, I feel like those, yeah, those are the, the men that I'm generally going for. I do think that that actually does transcend like, boundaries of sexual orientation like there's especially if you're going for depressed doc martin e-girls like i feel like stick and pokes and guitar knowledge is the way is the way in <laughs> yeah yeah so if that, I, if yeah i can't like, play i can't play guitar though that's the problem i'm not musical to, at all carter could play, i was gonna say you have to play no. you have to know about it you have to be able uh, to talk about it yes if you like i bet if you just talked a lot about how you would love to know how to play guitar it's the same effect. Dude, like, yeah, no, 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 you don't even understand. If we're talking about tattoos and pretending to know music, I have a piano key tattooed <laughs> on my bicep because my grandfather was a composer and I never bothered to learn and that's a regret I live with every single day. So if, like, if anything, the Venn diagram is me. I am the blueprint. <laughs> but still oh, for sure. also like the it's a bummer because it's like because it's like there's like real feeling in that right like it's yeah like, that's, actually, that's like it's like really both, sweet and like actually sentimental whereas like this has to be completely void of like human it has to be pure performance i was thinking yeah. i i mean i told i told my parents that i was like done getting tattoos because they've been they were very supportive about both of mine but i was thinking about getting the cartoon of the trolley problem on my thigh <laughs> that's I a just good think, idea I love I'm, the I'm, pre- I'm pretty down with that. You, you, like my, my stamp of approval. High like, enough that if you wear shorts, half of it shows, and then somebody feels compelled to ask, and then you can talk about the tattoo. The question is like, is it is it uh, like landscape? Is it like horizontally? Or yeah, just or the cro- like I have pretty big going thighs. Up your leg. No, no, no. I have pretty big thighs. I played soccer. Like I can get it. I can get it like vertically. Okay, fucking Paul Mescal vibes. Congrats. Paul, Paul Mescal, man. That guy is jumping onto nice. people's radars. Yeah. Um, so speaking, you know, you were saying earlier about how Armand is um, sweet and, uh, and, and very uh, approachable. Um, what? <laughs> just, like, just like all straight men are, of course. Um, of course yeah. So, my, so my, my question for you is like, as an outside observer, what are your thoughts on straight male culture? And I'm not going to define that because I want to hear your definition. Of it. Yeah, thank you for no. I mean, so lifelong, all of my like closest friends, like my like the person I would call my best friend, has always been a straight dude. And I feel like mo- like like broadly, my social circles are like women and queer people. But it's always like like my best friend right now is the. Steve Friedman, God love him, went to BU. We lived together for four years. I talked to him on the phone every day. Uh, yeah. When I was growing up, like my best friend was like inexplicably like the, like he was like on the varsity football team as a freshman in high school. Like I've always had like a, like a soft spot for like soft straight dudes. I feel like that's like this, the, that's the peak. It's like the peak of masculinity. I, hey, you're, I will you're, say like, you're talking to two podcast hosts who consistently <laughs> make fun of themselves. We are fine. I was, was going to say, yeah, like from afar, you guys do seem to sort of fit the bill. I was actually talking about this with my colleagues yesterday. I was like, oh, I'm going on this, like, this podcast from, uh, the, 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 like, was from the independent paper where, and they're like, oh, who are the hosts? And I was like, they're like, they're like the arc, in my mind, I don't know either of them very well, but they're like the archetypal, like, 
good, like soft, good straight person. They're like, oh, you love that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's like, I'm not, so glad we have a brand. Cloud yeah, chasing colon the good ones. The good, you are, and like, not that that is helpful ever, but like to call yourself the good ones, but you were like, people, I don't know, the bar is so low, obviously, for not being a shitty straight person, but it's like, if you like listen and uh, are, I think it's that. I think it's like, if you listen and you're not, if you don't barrel into every situation being like, I am the default. And also if you aren't constantly being like, like there's, there's a, a very Portland, very like, you know, white tears, straight tears version of it, where it's like, I couldn't, if you're not like constantly scream, screaming about how you could never know real oppression, uh, but you're also not like pretending that you are the default kind of person. Yeah. Like moving through the world. Like, yeah. Like it, it's refreshing. It's nice. Thank you. Well, so uh, you've greatly complimented Carter and I, and we appreciate it. Uh, Mistakenly, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, wrong. Yeah, I'm sure that you guys will fuck up in ways that I'll never understand. But like, from from where I sit, you guys are paragons. I don't know if you. Sure. I don't know if you dealt with BUTV10 when you were a student at BU, but um, I I just directed a I directed a show for them, and the freshman PAs thought that I was. When I ironically make fun of somebody, like they thought it was serious and they thought I was a mean person. And like at the rap party, they were like, how have you not been canceled? So, you know, it's a give and take. Um, but well, no, I to think- be fair, I'm, to be fair, I know you very well. And I still wonder all the time how you have not been canceled. You know what? If so- cancel culture was real, I'd be gone, but I'm not, baby. Um, <laughs> all right, move so- on. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's generally assumed that like gay men kind of dress better than most straight guys. Uh, so as, as a gay guy talking to two, two straight men, like how should we uh rally the troops into wearing loafers and short shorts and you know floral shirts like what yeah i mean the messaging supposed to look like this is something that i think that you've drawn out that i hadn't thought to mention but it's like part of the thing that makes you as a gay man trust a straight man is like do do they dress well do they know how to that's right (laughs) like look and look at their pants and see if they fit and if they do they can be trusted if they don't like toss it toss it in the garbage so like congrats to both of you for also just usually looking good Thank you. We're grabbing um, pants that fit. I mean, I think that it's like you. This isn't something you can tell people. Like, this has to be results lab. Like, it's like if like more people will like you. I assume you will get laid more if you don't look like a moron. And like, if that's the goal, just like like lean on that and like vocalize that. I, I can't. Yeah. Like, right? I can't. I feel. So I think, think like we, you think like the the incentive to rally the troops is like hey if you don't look like a sloppy asshole all the time people might respect you and you might get laid more but yeah, sloppy like, assholes get laid all the time that's the problem but you have like, to be like you but, have to be but a are specific they kind of yeah you have to be the, and you have to be a specific like you have to be as here's the thing if you're a sloppy asshole you have to you be, be like brilliant. a f-ing 10 you have to be so hot already and then it's an intensifier yeah but if you're like a six and you're a slappy asshole, like, it's like, you do not deserve rights. Like, get out, like, get out of my sight, <laughs> right? Like, it's like, put, but it's like, you can be anywhere from a six to a 10 and like, know what shirt to wear and it's a guaranteed slam dunk. Like, I think that it, it, uh, it That's a good pitch. So, so much work, yeah. And then, so like, again, we, uh, you're a man of culture, uh, but like, 
Carter and I like to think that we're cultured, but we're we're a different kind of culture. Like him and I are obsessed with people like Shia LaBeouf. Uh, whereas like I would, fa- okay, I, I'm also obsessed with Shia LaBeouf to be clear. Excellent. Yeah, but like Excellent. but like in we're terms saying of, just, like, you don't more as well. Yeah, <laughs> like we're obsessed with like Shia LaBeouf, whereas like you have like fascinations with people like like Cape Blanchett or whatever. So like. Carter and I, like, as people who don't know that much about culture, like, who should we pay attention to? Who do you think are underrated style icons that we people generally and Carter and I should be looking at? Yeah. I mean, like, Kate Blanchett, I feel like, is the person that I'm constantly channeling. Like, Kate Blanchett specifically in the movie Carol with her little round oh hats. And, like, the way that she smokes a cigarette and the red... I just, again, like, got the Canadian Blu-ray mailed to me because I needed it. I needed yep. mainline that shit. Um, uh, <laughs> directly to the veins yeah obviously like zoe kravitz i yes. feel like we could all learn a go much mm. from zoe kravitz lulu mm. wong who who directed uh the farewell yes she's shit. incredible and also she has like a, t- a dope typewriter that i love and like <laughs> using a typewriter is is like the quickest route to like fedora wasteland and i feel like if you have a good typewriter you've done something that like the rest of us couldn't and I feel like her and uh do you guys ever read uh Rachel Syme's stuff in the New Yorker or like follow her on Twitter? occasionally I think that name sounds familiar she's great uh she's got a typewriter too she's a great Twitter follow and she like I, th- I guess she, like I think her unofficial title at the, the New Yorker is like glamour editor so she writes really well about like uh New York City specifically and like the aesthetic of New York City and like the early 20th century in general and like what was glamorous and why it was glamorous yeah um she's a great resource i don't know i think that like uh honestly this is here's actually my here's my real answer i'm like i've like i've like put on all this academic bullshit but the real answer is the entire cast of netflix's elite do you guys watch elite (laughs) no yes yes i watched it oh my god elite is it's like horny murder teens in spain um it's like sort of Gossip Girl plus Big Little Lies vibes. Um, okay. It's all in Spanish. It's like really, ah. really hot, like Spanish people who are in their probably mid twenties but playing like seventeen to nineteen. I follow all of them on uh, on Instagram. They're <laughs> all. Everyone is the hottest person I've ever seen. It's like really like some of them are gay. It, the the way that they use it, like the, the jewelry on these people. Is ridiculous. Blow your mind. The way that they like my Instagram discover page is just accidentally like fifty thousand photos of the cast of Elite like drinking at a club, and it is mesmerizing to me. I would I would turn to them. I would I would trust them with my lives, like it, at least sexually and stylistically. Like I would. I it's would like take a, it's like so a good. It's a good fit show. Like if you're just liking the outfits of characters, it's a great fit show. Yeah, it's, I mean, to be fair, most of the time they're in school uniforms. I think uh, them yeah. as, it's like hot. takes place at boarding school, but them, it, it, absolutely hot, first of all. The, the school uniforms do make, does make, do make everyone hornier. And, then, and they're, like, they're either in uniform or naked. But like IRL, their Instagram presences are uh, inspirational. Incredible. Okay, thank you for the, thank you for the, uh, yeah, uh, my Instagram explore page is just about to go from like a bunch of Korean outfit of the day posts into the cast of Elite. Um, but we want we wanted to introduce a new segment uh, that we call elevator pitch. So this is only going to be used as a segment with guests who like create content or uh, you know write for somebody or or, or whatever. Um, and you know 
we think everybody who comes on our show certified is a good content creator objectively, right? Because Carter and I know taste. Because we but have we, the best taste. But we want to see our friends, we want to see the friends of the pod succeed. Uh, so we would like to uh, pitch things that we think would take your content to the next level. Uh, Connor, you know, at this point, you're one of our own, you know, you're a terrier. We just want you to succeed as the arts and culture editor of Portland Monthly Magazine. So we want to offer like an article pitch on the house, like, you know, take it, take it or leave it. Um, write a feature about us, you know, we'll move to Portland if it gets us press. I don't care. I have I have a list of things that that you can talk about in the feature. Okay, so okay, please, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I know this is <laughs> so basically I'm I'm setting the terms of my agreement here. Um, one, we both rely heavily on facial hair, but mask it by only talking about our clothes. Yeah, I've been a mustache guy for most of quarantine. That's like the phase that I'm in right now. It, it's working. Like I've, I'm pretty clean shaven right now, but I will say that I, I did like have a facial hair experiment for the first couple of months, and it was, it was, I was like, I'm too vain to do it in real life without where like people have to see the weird middle part where it's like, oh no, it's not there yet. So it's, it's I'm like, I've collected a lot of data. Not to derail your pitch, but like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's been, it's been a, like, a facial hair learning moment for like, I think the world really. No, I can I can relate to that because like if I if I shave like like if I'm clean shaven like a small like mysterious Vineyard Vines logo just sort of like appears on my chest. Totally, it's like like, I'm like, clean like shaven. the reverse of, of uh, Marty McFly fading out in Back to the Future. Like, yes. Like yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Also, directly. also, uh, you know, Sydney Brown, who is a friend of ours and like a terrier, she she's decided to like sketch over selfies and make them like illustrator pieces of art. And she did it for us so that we could use it to promo our show next semester. And she was very adamant on including the fact that neither of our beards connect. And I just think that that's very funny. <laughs> but yeah, Carter, I'm sorry. Go that's, that's insulting. That's insulting. Sydney. I mean, my they don't. Connects. Artists are, 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 are real truth tellers. <laughs> <laughs> the fourth and the fifth. That's state. true. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Yes. Keep okay. Um, no, obviously all of these are, are vitally important. So please pay yeah, attention. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> earlier, uh, we talked. Earlier, we talked about Little Women, um, and I just mm -hmm. I want you to know we are two straight men who have seen the film combined like eleven times. So also, it's both Nova. of our favorite movies of last year, right? Yes, it was definitely yes. mine. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So like the Nobel Prize is on the way for that. Um, for and, gender and equality. If you wanted to Anybody, get a head sorry, start. I'm sorry, do, either, do either of you have a daughter? Because if not, how do you know women are people yet? I don't know. Uh, I, you know, hot girls. It's a guess. I'm attracted <laughs> to feminists. That's the thing. Uh, <laughs> parody, parody, oh satire, satire. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. I was just thinking, I was actually yeah, specifically right. thinking of that song on Ye, right? Where he's like, where Kanye's like, I, I have a daughter now, so I get it. And I get that the, the women deserve to people say that like it's growth. people yeah. say that like it's groundbreaking as a, as a father just of daughters yeah literally yeah. but you know like the the something that i've been hearing a lot recently which is like topical to the time that we're in but it's very related to that is like when people who are like 40 are like you know i never realized it growing up but like now i see that all black people are human beings yeah like, like that, are you stupid? that's not redeeming <laughs> that's not redeeming what are you I had about? to I had to earn a bachelor's degree from a college that put me six figures in debt to figure out that I can't be racist in public, because I'm smart. Shut the fuck up, Jesus Christ! Yeah. Better yeah. keep going, or I'm gonna lose my mind. 
Okay, so to continue, Armand, uh, losing, losing his mind, he is, I think, I'm fairly sure, given the, you know, who I think lives in LA, my impression of LA, I think Armand is the only person who wakes up at 7 a.m. to watch uh, football in, in England, like, to watch Premier League. And I think, like, for me, it's 7 a.m., so Armand's up at, like, 5.30 uh, with a beer in his hand singing songs. Um, I don't know how true that so is. He's, but... So he's the only guy who does that. So you can write about that. Um, I, <laughs> am the, I am the only man who owns a waffle knit shirt, like, above Stratton Mountain. So, like, like I've got, like, this whole reason. That can't be true, myself. right? Like, you have a nice... No, no, it's, no, it's true. Like, a designer waffle knit. But, like, waffle knits are, like, thermals for most people, right? Am I wrong? Yeah, no, no, that's good. I should, I should mention designer waffle nuts because, like, also hunting. I was gonna say, so, I, feel like the, I feel like there's something very like northeast about that about a waffle nut. Yeah, it's about it's just about like being the right amount of pretentious about it. Is right. is really um, it's con it's very context reliant. Yes, 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 absolutely. Um, last season we started adding cold opens like halfway through and just never addressed why we were doing it. They're also intermittent. Um, they're not consistent. Like some no, episodes we just don't have it. One of the cold opens was literally me saying, I hate the cold opens. <laughs> like, like they're just, they're all over the place, man. So obviously we're really put together podcasters. And yeah, yeah. Uh, last but not least, Armand can do archery in his backyard. So I've become a big archery guy. Where I don't know how that happened. That's one of my quarantine things. Like some people picked up like that's an LA thing. No, it isn't. It's a to, to have the thing. privilege to to like, step outside and and do archery in your backyard every day. I don't I don't know what you what you want from me. Like in 2017, my mom <laughs> asked my dad, "What do you want for Christmas?" And my dad said, "A bow and arrow." My mom was like, "What?" And then she did it. So and now you're using have, it to make TikToks. Aesthetically, like, what's the overlap there with like Renaissance Fair people? Like, I feel like that's what I think of when like, <laughs> <for> archery. <laughs> like yeah, you said earlier, I, Armand is the Venn Van diagram. He is the Venn diagram of those. Once again, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, like, as a thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, I've I've learned that like you just never stop being a Boy Scout. I'm gonna be entirely honest. You just don't. There it is. Okay, that's I that again. I was thinking Ren Fair, but Boy Scouts is where. Yeah, yeah. Thank, you, are, are you surprised that the are you surprised that the entire theme of last season was why don't we get laid uh, because <laughs> I'm not an Eagle Scout you <laughs> like <have>? 15 minutes <laughs> listen no yeah, like, I'm, right. proud, I'm, I'm proud of you buddy. it's like it's like this like X number of merit badges should equate to X amount <laughs> yeah. of yeah. yeah yeah I mean well okay so I was gonna if Armand like gonna... math I'm, I'm sure he'd do that <laughs> I was I was gonna ask you, Karna, a little earlier. Like you said, you grew up in a log cabin. Like, how does somebody in a log cabin like go the the route of like film geek as opposed to lumberjack? Yeah, that's a good question that I don't fully know the answer to. I mean, I think it was just that, like right, but uh, we moved out to the to the cabin when I was like nine, uh, and for like a couple of years, like my full disclosure, my first concert was Toby Keith. Um, like it was like, there was some real blue collar shit happening uh, in my life. And then I was like, oh, I'm gay. Oh, I like 
theater. Like, right? Like, oh, I sort have of, to, was, like, like, movies. There was, like, an aesthetic yeah. pivot at some point where I was, like, Shit, okay, well, so, like, my, yeah, like, my dad was my soccer coach, and I was, like, oh, my God, I hate being here so much, um, <laughs> and I don't know why. Like, the, there was just, like, a, there was a, a brief reckoning, and then it was, like, I guess I've all, I always liked it, though, like, as a kid, like, right, there was, there's the classic, like, it was, like, I, I loved The Wizard of Oz when I was, like, four years old, and I just, like, I, my grandma, God bless her, was very into, like, showing me old movies and shit, for, like, she was, you know, a, she's, like, an Elvis, Elvis grandma, she, like, saw him when he was in Portland and always talks about it, and has, like, owns, like, a piece of his scarf, like, I think that, like, there were a couple people in my life who threaded in, like, culture and caring about that, as opposed to just, like, you know, the, like, literal farmland around me, uh, and that movie, like, oh, that's, you know, this, this is the thing that's pulling me forward, this is the pretty part, and so, like, when I was living in the log cabin, I would, I did, we didn't have high-speed internet for most of the time that I was there, and so I would, like, buy, I, like, would buy DVDs and, like, Blu-rays and shit, and I had, like, a, I think at some point I had, like, 500 DVDs, uh, just, like, to, to, because I wanted to know, I was, like, this is the only thing that feels, like, living in such an insular place and realizing at some point there was like no place for me there or just like that it wasn't it didn't feel right like everyone else was like this is cool and I was like I'm not oppressed or like you know horrified by this but it doesn't like do it for me there's like there's yeah. gonna be a world out there uh those were the things that like you know it was the, the cleanest clearest way to look into someone else's this is a very sincere answer <laughs> but like uh yeah. you know, someone else's life and viewpoint in mind and be like and I was like I I don't know I love that I, I yeah it, it, it reminded me that there was there was a world beyond uh, where I was when I felt a little bit trapped by it, I guess. There you go. That is very sweet. Okay. Yeah, uh, back to the insincerity. Uh, <laughs> we, do a, we do a segment called Fit Hunter where we ask our guests, we, we paint a picture of uh, a scenario and we ask our guest if they could pick the ideal outfit for that scenario. Does it need to be clothes that you already own, just like a pie-in-the-sky ideal of what you would look like? Yeah. Um, Usually, like, it, it, it's a little more specific, but I feel like in terms of quarantine, we don't need to beat around the bush. Let's say it's the first bar night out in Portland in ages. Okay. How yeah. are you reintroducing Connor Reed to the world? Yeah, I think, so I think that, like, we have to incorporate a little bit of that, like, athleisure vibe that I have figured out for myself. Like, um, right before I, right before she got locked down, I bought, like, I know. I the one thing I do know about this podcast is that it is vehemently anti-feeler disruptor. That's um, right. I Put it on my gravestone. I tested the limits of this, I think, and I and I own like a like a moderately chunky Nike. Uh, it's not full feeler disruptor vibe, and I honestly don't know what like the name of the shoe is. I found it at Buffalo Exchange downtown Portland, but it like. It's like it's like strong normcore vibes. It's like just like white and yellow, but like it's, there's a little bit of a soul to it. And I just like it looks good with everything I own. So I think that we, we sort of like nod to that with my like medium chunky Nike sneaker. Um, I think that it's like uh, I have these uh, Elwood like slight flare sort of black pants that are, there's like a very like seventies vibe going on I think that we like break those out over the Nikes and then like up top I think it has to be it has to be like a printed button down over something solid I think is where we're at and like maybe it's a turtleneck with like honestly like maybe not too far from what I'm wearing right now obviously I have to right. break out the 824 app and Let's go. actually 
I was briefly a watch person and it was like, it was so powerful. I had like this sick, thing, uh, I forget what the, what the brand was, but like, like it was a, um, like a leather band with like a really beautiful watch face. And then I left it on the worst night of my life in London. Um, I guess it was like the worst like week of my life when I was in London. Yeah. Like, in the middle of that, uh, my boyfriend at the time and I were flying back from Nice and I like, we had to, like our train got canceled. We had to take a bus from like this like remote ass airport back to London, and then we had to get off the bus because like we both had to throw up. And I left my watch on the bus. Oh, I never bought another you hate one. to see it. I never bought another one. So like I've been in intense like it's time to be a watch boy again. And I do think that when I reemerge, I'm gonna have to show up uh, to the bar with a watch. There you go. Applaud that. Right. Yeah. There you go. I've always uh, wanted to be a watch guy. Being a watch guy personally is great. I love it. I mean, I don't need to really buy another. I don't need to buy another watch for as long as I live because eventually my dad will just give me his because he's a watch guy. So inheriting that kind of shit is like very, very. Okay, um, and uh, Connor, our our last segment is called "Hill I Die On," uh, where we ask you to present what you believe is your most, you know, your most sincere take, something that you believe deep in your soul, whether it's unpopular or not. What's like the one hill that you will, it doesn't matter if your grandma brings up the contrary, like this is the hill that you have chosen to die on. Yeah, I mean like not to, not to play to expectations too hard here, but <laughs> season two of Smash is better than season one of Smash. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking Philistines. Like it's like, <laughs> what do you mean? Don't erase this from history. This was, this to me was the most disappointing part of an otherwise well-executed Smash reunion on Zoom where everyone, A, just like fully did not speak to any of the, the cast members who were only in season two, and B, spoke about the show as if the only thing that existed was the Meta Marilyn Monroe musical Bombshell, which is what season one is constructed around, completely ignoring season two's, uh, in show musical hit list, which is like kind of a rent parallel. Uh, both of them were bad. Obviously, the show's very bad, but like season one of Smash started well and then got hijacked. There's an amazing feature on BuzzFeed. It's like how Teresa Rebeck, the showrunner of Smash, who I did briefly meet once by accident at the Boston Playwrights Theater. Um, Chef's kiss, uh, baby. With big old scarf. Um, she like hijacked it, drove it into the ground, and like part of the fun was watching her blow the show up, but then. Uh, Josh Safran, who was the showrunner of Gossip Girl, showed up in season two and pumped the fucking camp up to 11. There's a moment where Jeremy Jordan sings High and Dry by Radiohead to himself while he's overdosing in a bathtub. It's like the, the, the gall to erase like the whole plotline where Andy Miantis sings a Billy Joel song and then gets hit by a car. It, <laughs> it, there's, so, there's so much untapped beauty lurking in the margins of season two of Smash, specifically around the horrible, incoherent musical that is the through line of season two. Sorry, what, uh, also, also, the performance in the finale where they sing Under Pressure by Queen and David Bowie on their way to the Tony Awards, and all Deborah Messing does is turn to the camera and say people on streets over and over again. Like, it, I, it's a, an unloved, 
uh, problem child in like this show that is already sort of a cult classic and somehow has still been even rejected by the people who have embraced the awfulness of season one. Um, it's, a, it's a tragedy. Okay. Uh, to, end this, to end this podcast on a massive statement about a beautiful, a beautiful piece full of camp is just like very meta. It's Jeff's kiss. What it's, we've spent the last two hours doing. It's beautiful. Um, yeah. So as Carter noted, we've reached the end of this now two and a half hour Zoom call. This is the Jesus longest Christ. we've ever recorded, by the way. Props to you, Tommy. This is yeah, ridiculous. You talk too much, so like, congrats. So, um, real quick, real quick before we go, uh, you know, plug yourself, plug Portland Monthly. Where can the kids follow you? What do you want to shout out, real quick? Yeah, um, follow me uh, on Twitter at NBC's Smash. Um, PDXMonthly.com is where all of our shit is. Follow us on Instagram at Pomo Magazine. We're starting, we're doing some uh, new like Instagram story content. We uh, have been, our digital editor has been downtown documenting sort of the the scene today after the protests. I think that, that that work has actually been really special and important to people who have uh, been responding well to that. Um, I don't know if I have anything else to plug right now because my whole life is just like writing for a magazine and sleeping and drinking alcohol because there you it's go. quarantine. Beautiful. Well, Beautiful. thank you so much for uh, joining us, Connor. Sincerely appreciate it. Uh, our new thank editor you. for the first time, Justin, play that funky outro music, baby. Mm-hmm.